What's going on, everybody? It's Tuesday. It's like the end of this is the last Tuesday in July. So get ready for August. I don't get ready for August, I guess. I don't know. Like, what do we even? What do we? What do we even? Hey. It's the Jeff Gerstman show live on the internet, or maybe more likely that you are not, uh, you are not, uh, you are watching this after the fact and, and you are not watching, you are listening to it and you are not getting to see me frantically mess with my microphone arm as it slowly falls apart in my hands. Yeah, that's what you're missing out on by not being here live, live. Uh, we're on, you know, we're, hey, we're on Twitch, twitch.tv. It's a website uh, or we're on youtube.com, which I think is also a website. And then we're wherever podcasts go, which is a much more ephemeral kind of it's all over the place. Just type in the name and see what you can find it. Uh, and it'll hopefully show up. Okay. A website. Okay. It, it's okay. Hypertext is a type of text formatting that you can use to make an interactive, you can make an interactive document uh, where you could have like words that you see in the document and you're like, what's that? What does that mean? And you click on it and it goes somewhere else. Uh, And you're, you're marking, you're marking up the, the text to say, here's where it goes over here. You are not marking, you are not marking it down. Markdown. Markdown is for cops. You know what I'm saying? We mark up around here. And then, uh, now let's talk about wrestling for an hour. No, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's the the web is a is a, a wonderful piece of technology. It's enabled so many different things, dating all the way back to the webcam that was pointed at the coffee pot at that college that I used to look at in 1994. Uh, that was nice. Everything after that, I think, was, you know, there was uh, Anna Voog, the Anna Cam, and then basically everything after that was all downhill, I think, when it comes to the internet. So uh, there's your web history lesson. Mark Andreessen uh, invented the internet <laughs> and then probably got way, he didn't get way into crypto. Of course he did. Yes, those, yes, okay, yes, the, the hallmarks. The hallmarks of the internet. Okay, there was the coffee pot camera, Anna Cam, uh, Lonely Girl Thirteen, uh, Bub Rub, um, and now uh, Lemon Party. Yeah, that's and then and then now here we are, and now and now here now now you got me. We came all this way, and now what's at the end of the road? What's the last thing you'll see before the internet goes offline? Jeff goddamn Gersman here talking about some fucking video games. This is what this is. This is it's all been. It's all been building to this. Enjoy your gaming. Here we are. Damn it. Um, It's been a while. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, not to start this video game podcast with uh, some non video game talk. But, you know, yeah, it's it's been. um. Uh, it's been a fun, weird week around here. My daughter turned three last week. Um, and she got a big wheel and she can kind of ride it. It's crazy. 
it's 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 really crazy she's uh she's a she's a full-on person it's it's weird she went to the doctor today she got a shot she cried a little bit but like she's been watching so many different like whether it's like mr rogers it's mostly mr rogers uh the episode where mr rogers goes to the doctor and gets a shot and now she's been like she's got her own little doctor kit so she's always walking around trying to give me checkups over and over again and so she's just like ready for it she's like yeah no we're going i'm gonna go to the doctor and i want i'm gonna go to the dentist and and all this other stuff she's like super pumped for that stuff and that's a that's pretty rad because i imagine you know if that goes the other way and she's not psyched for it then these things are, are much more difficult um so yeah my wife took her uh to the checkup there first thing in the morning i hung out here with the boy who is a mess that guy's everywhere He's, uh, he is going to be the type of child that stands up before he can crawl. Like he, he is like that army crawl on the elbows thing. And he is, uh, I'm fairly certain that before he starts crawling on all fours, he's just going to be like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to stand up. I'll walk. Fuck you. Like he's just going to like, and he has that standoffish look. Sometimes he's like, what's up? The Matt Menard of babies. Just staring a hole in you. Um, no, he's not. No, he's not them. He's not the Mammon Art of Babies. He's, he's, he's way less of a dirtbag than that. Um, I got it uh, before. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to try this out uh, because I can't imagine it's going to be any good. So I'm going to try this out. Then we're going to take a break. Then we're going to come back and talk about video games. My wife found this at the store. She also found some other drinks at the store today that perhaps we will we will look at later in the week on streams. That's the most exciting thing about the week is is now I've got two more energy drinks that I've never tried before. But before we get to actual energy, we've got this thing. It's the Artist Marshmallows Limited Edition Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. And then in very small letters at the bottom... It says uh, watermelon, strawberry flavored, and other natural flavors. So it is not it is not marshmallow flavored, which is already a boon. That's a good thing because I don't know if you know this, but uh, marshmallow flavored beverages are fucking terrible, absolute trash. Uh, I guess the only one I've ever really had has been. Um, Rockstar has a, a marshmallow flavored drink. It's terrible. It's awful. Go try it. Go try it. If you're like, oh man, why isn't it marshmallow flavored? Go, go get yourself a Rockstar Exdurance uh, marshmallow and uh, and see how that goes for you. I don't know. I'm glad that this comes in a tiny can because I can't imagine it's going to be any good. But we're going to find this out. We're going to. This is. Yep. Smells like watermelon and. What is that? Sorry. Watermelon strawberry. Let's try Well, I don't like that. I don't like. I don't. I don't especially like this. This. It's It's not the worst thing you could drink. But it's like. Um, do you like medicine? Do you like the? T- do you like drinking medicine? Because sometimes I do. Um, depending on the flavor. But this is like bad medicine. 
Marshmallow, your drink is like bad medicine. And bad medicine is what I need. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that's uh, that's shitty, but uh, it could be worse. It could be worse. We're here. We're drinking a, a Diet Coke of some kind. Get used to it. Right? Hmm. All right. Okay. If you want to get deeper in <laughs> the Jeff Gersman cinematic universe, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman right now and see all sorts of ways to you can get access to the discord you get an ad free version of the show the next version of the Jeff Gerstman Hall of Fame uh, is is imminent I have a game picked out I just have to record it and that'll be ready for people in the real, in the next week should be uh, and yeah uh We've got some uh, new podcast stuff in the works. I have to get the recording time for that lockdown. I am thinking Thursday we will record that, but I have to I have to check and make sure that that's going to work for everyone involved and all that sort of stuff. So yes, wild times around these parts. I'm going to take one more sip of this. It's still bad. It's still bad. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. And then it's like a yeah, and then whoosh, and then horses just. Brum, brum. That's you know, I think that's when when you think about blue chew, you think about raging horse, just a stampede. You know what I mean? Hey, it's time to bring a little bit of that summer heat. Into the bedroom. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Now, what is Blue Chew for? All right. Let's say, let's say, for example, you have a penis for the, for the sake of argument here. And it's not performing the way you want it to. It is not getting hard the way you want it to, when you want it to, the, the erection just isn't happening the way you want it to. You just you're you're lacking in confidence, all that other stuff. Blue Chew, the service. Blue Chew may be for you. Confidence can take you far in life, and it can also help in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. What is Blue Chew? Well, okay, let's break it down for real this time. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. It's a simple process. You go to bluechew.com. You sign up. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And hey, this is all done online. You don't got to go to the doctor's office. You don't got to get into the doctor and be like, doctor, my dick don't work or anything. Like, no awkward, weird conversation. You don't have to go wait in line at the pharmacy, any of that other stuff. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door, and they come in a discreet package. They always say that making a first impression is very important, but what about a lasting impression? You know what I mean? Hey, I'm talking about boners. 
I'm talking about keeping them hard, keeping these boners working. We're sending these boners back to work. They have been unemployed long enough. Blue Chew is here to help you get this boner back on his feet and out the door and making things happen. So if you could benefit from a little extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And there's a special deal for you, the listener. Try Blue Chew for free. When you use the promo code Jeff at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Promo code Jeff to receive your first month for free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Woo! All right, we are back. And now it's time to talk about video games. I know, I'm sorry to, but uh, it's part of the charter. When I filed the paperwork to start a podcast with the National Podcast Administration, they said, what is your podcast about? And I said, it's about video games. And they said, okay, you know, it's like a Canadian content sort of law that 35% of the podcast must, in fact, be about video games. Well, you're in luck because this week the video games are mostly good. Uh, I've, I've been returning to multiverses in a way that I never, ever would have expected. The... This is the platform fighter from Warner Brothers that on paper and and in trailer form and all this other stuff you look at and go like, Jesus, who would who would want to? This is a disaster. This is like a boardroom made this game. This is a a, a, this is poop on a platter. They are going to monetize the teens because teens love Velma. Who's the target demographic for Velma? Who are the biggest fans of Velma? Surely it's the te- surely it's people between the age of 12 and 22. Right? Surely it's not uh men in their 40s who want to know more about Velma. Sorry, what were we talking about? All oh, right, Velma. Velma, am I right? You know what I mean? Anyway, she's a character in the game along with Shaggy. Not, you know, this is not backyard wrestling. Uh, it is. It, this is. This is not uh, a, a a. This is not Shaggy too dope. Sadly, I think if uh, if if the insane clown posse was a part of the Warner universe, then I think that that would be um very fascinating. But instead, it is uh, Shagland. No, what is? I don't know. What I don't know. Shaggy's full name. I don't know Shaggy's full name. But you know, and then Batman is in it, and then some Steven Universe people, and then LeBron James is coming. So it's like you know, like like the, that icky feeling you felt when Space Jam Two uh, came out, and you were like, oh, this seems like, ugh. and you just kind of like shrink, and you just feel like you're like shrinking in your chair like oh no um and then i don't know the game came out and i'm kind of into it and i can't really tell you why i i it it, i am only playing as shaggy i have tried a couple of other characters and uh not really enjoyed them that much i also 
don't find myself all that interested in the 2v2 aspect of the game. That has been their main focus, but I have been playing 1v1, and I can report, if you watched the video that we did last week that went up over the weekend on YouTube of uh, of me playing, you know, uh, multiverses, I was undefeated as of that recording, and uh, and was and and I am still the the esports. I am. This is uh, welcome to your home for multiverses esports. I am the uh, best. I, I I lost. I lost last night. I lost a game finally last night. So that's uh, that's that's pretty exciting. I was like, geez, this seems weird. I sure am. Um. Sure, I'm winning matches in a in a game in a genre that I uh, don't especially like to play, <laughs> and all, the, and uh, and so I, I finally, uh, I finally lost one. It was very close at the end because they, uh, you can rematch people to do kind of you know, full, you know, kind of two out of three set type situation, and it came down to the final fall or what do they call it? Final stock? I don't know. You smash people. Uh, so it was nice to lose. I took a shower and I'm feeling much cleaner now and that's nice. And, uh, multiverses I think is out widely, um, today ish. So you can just go download it now and, and, and get into it. If you so desire, uh, you can do that. And I, I, I'd say at the price of free, give it a go. That's that's the the probably the best thing I can say about that game is I enjoy I have enjoyed my time with multiverses which is something I certainly did not expect in any way shape or form but uh I think that it's the the, the changes they have made so you know you can there are a lot of options in that game for uh when it comes to the visual presentation as well as some of the control scheme stuff that just says legacy and what they mean by that is like, do you just want to make this more like Smash? Do you want to move, make the the meters and stuff look more like Smash? Do you want to have the controls make a little bit more sense uh, sense for Smash players? Like you can you can do that, um, but I don't. And I I don't know. I think that control wise, it, it controls okay. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I found myself interested in multiverses in a way that I certainly did not expect. So. With that said, I would say at the price they are charging, which is zero, you know, I think it's only seven gigs or something. So fast download, I would say go ahead and give it a go. It ain't bad. You know, play it for an afternoon and then uninstall it or, you know, or maybe you'll get into it and and they have a bunch of founders packs and all sorts of stuff you can buy if you want to. It is it is monetized. Like they're selling characters over there. It's not, uh, it ain't Dota. You know what I mean? But they are doing some kind of rotation about which characters are free and all that other stuff. So, I don't know. Give it a look. Uh, Stray. I played Stray. Uh, the first hour or so of Stray is... Uh, of, of me playing Stray is on YouTube as well. And I... This is, this is one of those choices that, like, I feel like is... It comes with this this line of work and for how long I have I have been in this line of work, but I, I played the first hour of Stray and then I did not have a great time with it. Stray is the cat game wherein you play as a cat. 
if you are not familiar with what Stray is, it has been uh, Annapurna put it out. It's $30. It's also on PlayStation Plus. Uh, and I did not have a great time with it in that first hour, but then people have been falling all over themselves talking about how incredible Stray is. And so I was like, fucking God damn it. I'm going to have to just finish Stray. And so I finished Stray in a little under five hours. Uh, I think the timer ended up being about 4.45, somewhere around there. Um, I, don't, I don't think Stray is a particularly good game. It's fine. It looks like there are aspects of the environment that I think look all right, but I think the... The nature of what Stray is feels almost deceptive to me compared to the marketing. Uh, and I think also it it is suffered. And suffer is maybe a weird word to use. Okay, remember Tall Lady from Resident Evil? Remember how she was tall and everyone was like, That lady tall! I want Tall Lady, step on me! Uh, and how all of the discussion pre-release of Resident Evil was like, ah, yeah, tall lady. Can she put on the stiletto heels and stomp on my junk for a while? You know, like whatever people got, you know, people were horny for tall lady. Of course. Um, it's, it's, it's 2022. It's okay. But then the game came out and you're like, oh, <clears throat> The big lady is not in it that much. She is she is not a focus of the actual video game, it turns out. Uh, she just stood out in the marketing. Stray is like that way, but for the cat. <laughs> like, do you play as a cat the entire time? Yes. Is the cat the focal point of the game? No. Is the cat the focal point of the story? Absolutely not. Um, and And so I felt deceived but not necessarily on purpose i don't feel like the developers of the game were going out of their way to necessarily say like look at the cute cat game but it at the same time um one of the first things that happens in that game is that you meet a little robot buddy and that robot buddy talks in english uh it, 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 there's no vo- sorry there's no voice in the game per se it is it is written but then suddenly you are just communicating with characters through the through the little bot and you are just the, the the part where you play as a cat is incidental and the part where you play as a cat is they almost they, there's not enough cat in the cat game i think is maybe my main problem with it but also the cat game that is in the cat game is not great because the Controlling the cat is not great. The turn radius on the cat is not awesome. The the movement in that game is very rigid in terms of where you can and cannot go. It is a it is, is an adventure game first and foremost. It is rarely an action game, and I think that's totally okay. But at the same time, like it's just like the you just you 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 jump from platform to platform it tells you exactly which platforms are jumpable because it puts the the a button jump icon uh on the ledge that you were looking at as if to say if you push this button now you will end up here uh so you don't really fall off edges or do any of that sort of stuff now that said that's not what i actually want don't make don't mistake this for like me saying it wasn't enough of a platformer or whatever because 
if they had just added that to the game, it would be way fucking worse. Uh, the, the game that they made is very much built to be that type of adventure game. It is built to be that type of like very story driven. You are going and solving side quests or you're like, whatever you have, you have an inventory in that game. Like you are, you are picking up things. People are asking you thing for things and you are going and getting the things and bringing them back to them. And they're like, yes, this is perfect. Now we can do the next thing in the story. And so it just, yeah, I don't know. Like nothing, there's nothing there is nothing special about the gameplay in Stray. There is nothing. I don't. I don't especially think that the focus. Like there are interesting things in the story when it comes to what's the nature of this weird world and why is it the way it is. Like you eventually get to most of those answers, but not necessarily all of those answers. And I found that the conclusion of the game to be like just a a total shrug, a total like, all right, and now you're done. I hope you enjoyed this little slice of this, uh, this story here. Like, did something resolve itself? Yeah, sure. Is it a thing that you actually care about me? No, not at all. The, the attempt to give the game some kind of emotional core, uh, in terms of one of the characters, not the cat, by the way, um, I thought, did not work at all. And so it just turns into you walking up to characters in the environment, hitting X, letting them say their line of dialogue, uh, telling you what they need or what they don't need or whatever. And then you go and do the thing and then come back with the item uh, and give it to them. And then they, they do the thing like there's, there's charm there, but uh, it, I, I think that, I think the, the video game part of that video game is, incredibly flat uh i think it i i i was hoping for i wanted this cat game to be either like way more of a cat game it needed to be either a much better cat game a much better cat representation or it needed to be like a much more in-depth video game instead it walks this line in the middle and you're like you're not satisfying any any needs here this game is, is is like it just felt disappointing at all ends where it's like this is not really the movement is not fun. The the cat stuff is limited to like, well, there are some spots where you can lay down. There are some doors you can scratch. And sometimes you can rub up against a robot's legs. And you can there's a meow button. And some of those have a little bit of gameplay associated with them. But, you know, the, the the game's attempts at action sequences where it's just like, now you've got a weapon. You're like, all right, this isn't, I don't, mm Like a lot of that, the when that game tries to kick it into high gear, the gameplay is more or less like, all right, hold forward and keep running. Dodge stuff. And I, yeah, like I, I, I'm not, I don't. I'm not necessarily saying that I think that Stray is a terrible video game or or anything like that. I just, I think that it is fine and it is a short little thing and it feels like this little artsy French film kind of thing where you're like, oh, you really had a style that you were going for here and you, you tried to do this kind of cyberpunky sort of aesthetic and and you know, like there are, there are visuals in that game and you're like, oh, this is, this is well made. It's a nice little 
it's a highly detailed small environment that you're in for four-ish hours and then you're done and that's that and so it, it just becomes this very slice of life sort of thing where it's just like okay now i i did this little thing as this cat and i don't think that the things that i thought would be resolved were even necessarily on the list of things that needed to be resolved but here we are uh and so yeah i don't know I, overall i found the experience to be pretty disappointing but a lot of that is then compared to the way people have been falling all over themselves for stray is is really odd to me like the the people going like look at this amazing and it's like yeah no it's it's okay it's all right. It's cool that people like Stray. I don't, you know, but, but I, I just coming away from that thing. I was like, all right, you guys are on one. That's sure. Fine. I just felt very, very slight and largely insignificant, I think is, is where I'm at. But, but yeah, there you go. That's Stray. Uh, it's like I said, it's 30 bucks on PC, but it is, uh, not, it is, it is part of PlayStation plus on on some tier so and then people i don't you know like people are like oh there's a garfield mod for it ah but like that like it doesn't even fucking look like garfield you people have no fucking standards what is wrong with you like people in chat are like oh the garfield mod it doesn't even look like garfield like you vaguely got the color of garfield applied to the cat in the game you should have been able to customize the cat out of the gate that shouldn't be a mod there's four, there's four cats at the beginning of that game. There's a little sequence there at the beginning of the game where you're like just walking around, looking at other cats, talking to cats. That should have been a character selection screen. Let me pick which cat I play as. Put more cat in the cat game. Come on. The part where you're a cat is so incidental. Like you could be a dog. You could be a fucking rabbit. You could be, you know, like you, you could be a little robot. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know. Call me back when you figured out how to do cool tune shading and stuff, or you you've actually made the cat look like Garfield. Pathetic. Um, X Zodiac is out in early access. We played a little bit of that as well. I love it. It is a really good fake Star Fox. Uh, with uh some really cool options. We 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 checked out the demo of this a while back too. And it has resolution and frame rate options that if you want to cap it in a way that looks a lot like uh, old Star Fox running on a SNES might, even though the original frame rate of actual Star Fox is very uneven. And here you can basically cap it at 15 frames a second. Um, it's got cool bonus stages that take different forms. It's in early access, so it's, it's only got six levels now and, and they're just kind of like strung together. It sounds like that they're, it sounds like their plans are to give it even more of a star Fox like framework. And, um, they've done a good job at approximating that experience, but not necessarily like I, I am enjoying it and I kind of don't really care uh, like about star Fox. Uh, like when original star Fox came out, it was an impressive technical feat that happened near the end of the SNES's life. And, you know, I was like ready to move on to new platforms at that point. So Star Fox coming along was like, yeah, this really, this kind of runs like, runs like shit, even at the time. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. It, it's fun. It looks great. It's not super difficult. You'll probably, you know, pound your way through it relatively quickly because it, it's six levels, but also there's some bonus stages you can find and stuff like that. Here's a fun pro tip for you. If you are playing X Zodiac and you want to cheat, uh, you can hit F5 at the main menu and it will bring up a debug menu that lets you make yourself invincible. I don't know if that's written on their page or anything like that, but that was something I accidentally discovered while we were playing it. Uh, the one bonus stage I found was basically Space Harrier. Like, they made a pretty good approximation of Space Harrier in that game. And as a Space Harrier aficionado, I will say that they have done, their little bonus level has done better at approximating Space Harrier than Air Twister does. Speaking of which, my... Apple Arcade subscription renewed because I forgot to cancel it again. And well, here we are back on that horse. I should really just finish Air Twister and unsubscribe. I keep, that's why I keep telling myself, like, I should really, I owe it to myself to play through Air Twister. It is the new Space Harrier esque game from Yu Suzuki. Like, what? But it's, I'm, I am not, uh, the, I am not drawn back to it. The video game itself is a little slower than I would like. And, so on and so forth. Um, anyway, X Zodiac, I think is rad. That's another case. That video, that video is up on YouTube. If you want to, to see some of that in action, including that space Harrier bonus stage, which is pretty sweet. Uh, I finally got a chance to check out the hot wheels DLC for Forza horizon five. And I, uh, I kind of knew it was going to be this. I think deep down, because you see the the screenshots and trailers and stuff of like, here's all these Hot Wheels tracks up in the sky. And it's, you know, my favorite thing about Forza Horizon 5 or the Forza Horizon games, really, is uh, the way you can go off-road and the way you can just smash through stuff. And there's not as much of that in the Hot Wheels DLC because a lot of those tracks have hard sides on them because you're up in the sky and they're magnetized track in some cases. So you can do all the cool spins and like, it's all super well-made for what it is. It's just such a pivot away from what I feel are Forza Horizon 5's strengths that I am not, it made me want to play Trackmania. It made me think like, ah, if I want this type of like crazy, crazy tracks and crazy racing games like I, I should just be playing Trackmania because Trackmania is the ultimate form of that type of gameplay um the other thing they did is they put a lot of progression into it over the years i think forza motorsport and forza horizon has been really trying to find the right way to handle progression because they for the longest time it was very rigid and and that was frustrating and, and then they would go too far in the other direction and people would kind of get bored with it because there was suddenly there was it was a little aimless Uh, The Hot Wheels DLC has very rigid class-based progression that the main game does not. So you start in a B-class car, and you cannot race an A-class car. You can't even even outside of a race when you're just cruising around the open world of the Hot Wheels zone, which is cordoned off from Mexico. Hot Wheels zone is not in Mexico. Maybe it's above Mexico, actually. We don't know. Um... You are strapped into a B-class car until you complete enough races to 
unlock a class. And so by the time you're getting to the hot wheels DLC, you've probably played so much Forza horizon five that you're in S one cars. You're in all sorts of fast cars. They just dump fast cars on you out of nowhere in, in the main game. And so going to this thing and being like, ah, look at this high speed, awesome corkscrews and fun twists. And now here's a fucking B class car. Have fun going 120 miles an hour. Dumbass. You're like, Oh man, what is this 50 CC ass bullshit? And so I, but at the same time, like the game probably could use some progression. Um, and, and so I get it, but it just, I don't know. I, I am not enjoying the, focused experience of hot wheels compared to the main game enough to want to drag myself through all those races to unlock the classes and, and all of that sort of stuff. So that's been kind of a blocker for me. I will probably, you know, Forza is a game that I keep installed and I just chip away at it from time to time. And that's the, the best that's that it's great for that. It's like, Hey, I haven't played this in like a month. I'm going to go back to it and just like, tool around and bust through some stuff and do a few races and just bust through some more stuff and have a good time and, uh, you know, check off some more boxes because there's so many different things to do in that main game. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, that I'll eventually go back and, and do some more of those progression races. There are not a zillion of them. So, you know, you can just kind of bust through them if you want to, but I definitely hit a point where it's just like, I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I don't want to drive over there to do this. I don't want to drive. I don't want to. Yeah. It's just kind of. Yeah. You know. It's. It's. It's the parts of it seem really cool in terms of just like, look at all this Lego stuff. There is some kind of, I I don't, I did not see it for myself, but when we were playing it last week, um, someone did say that there was some kind of track creator in there and that could be cool. But again, if you want crazy user-made tracks with ridiculous high speed and nonsense, might I suggest a little game known only as Trackmania? Might I suggest firing up your Ubisoft Connect client, which I know we all have installed uh, because of all of us being professional esports roller champions players. And check out a little something something known as Trackmania. You can also, there are also paid, you, you can get into Trackmania on Steam, some of the older ones too. That stuff still holds up. Uh, you, you can still subscribe to various tiers of access for Trackmania when it comes to playing the single player content. But uh, I would probably just stick with the online aspects of it. Um, that is a game I want to, yes, that is a game I want to try to install in the Steam Deck. I know some people have jumped through the hoops required to get the Ubisoft client uh, installed onto the Steam Deck and, and all that other stuff, but uh, but I have I have not done that. Speaking of the Steam Deck, I love the Steam Deck. I, it is, it is such a fun device to fuck around with and it is not perfect again every time i bring it up i feel like i have to kind of establish some caveats here it is not a perfect device it is it is not a device that i think is something that 
every single person is going to like fall into and be like, look at this amazing device. This is the most, it is, it is bumpy and it is, it is clunky around the edges and you will have some funky experiences on it. And here is one that I had recently ongoing. In fact, outriders, everyone's favorite, uh, looter, looter shooter, everyone's favorite show, looter, uh, the Outriders Twitter account was like, hey, we're, we run on the Steam Deck now. And I was like, oh, awesome. Because it was listed as unsupported before because it has anti-cheat and some of this other stuff. So I'm like, oh, well, shit, it doesn't work. Uh, but they said, yo, we, we were, we're all up on that deck now. And I'm like, oh, word, you're all up on that deck? Over the, Outriders is over the stove? Um, and so I installed Outriders. And attempted to launch it, and it just launched to a black screen. And I was like, well, that's confusing. And I went in and tweaked some settings and got it to run exactly twice. Got it to launch and work, and I got in-game, and I was running around doing Outriders stuff. I was turning men into skeletons and shooting them with guns and so on and so forth. The things you do in Outriders. And after getting it to launch successfully exactly two times it is never launched successfully ever again uh it just launches to a black screen and just sits there i can unlock steam cards for outriders while it is sitting there at that black screen and uh you know uh that that so it's it thinks it's running outriders but it doesn't do shit and so that's very unfortunate i don't know what the deal is this led to me this, along with some MU deck talk, uh, 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 amongst the amongst the members of the Gerstman advisory panel, find out more at patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman, uh, led to me creating a Steam Deck channel over on the Discord, where uh, we have been swapping stories, and um, and someone else, I, I should pull it up, someone else went to install Outriders and ran into the same problem I did, where it simply did not run. And... That's not good because they upgraded it to say playable. It used to have, you know, the little no smoking sign, like do not try to smoke outriders. It will not work. Uh, and then they upgraded it to, yeah, it's playable, but it, it doesn't work. And I don't know what the deal is. So that it's weird. You run into weird situations like that over in steam deck, steam deck. Yulvania is 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 there are you run into those sorts of problems but things are coming along uh, another situation capcom arcade second stadium does not run at all it seems like a game that absolutely should because it's just like yo man i'm just trying to play speed rumbler over here but it hard crashes and and all this other stuff and again you know that does it, they never said it would work with every game that's just one of those things that i just it, it threw a unique crash message that i had not seen before um and so this has led to me going down the rabbit hole a little bit on Proton. And Proton is the compatibility layer that I guess is, as I understand it, it is derived from Wine, which is a way to run Windows things in a Linux environment. But Proton is Valve's, it's much more game-focused, all that other stuff. So uh, Proton... 
gets updated. It has not been updated in about a month now, but you know, there are, or there are a lot of different versions of Proton and, and there are some cases that like, you can go set, like which version of Proton do you want to try to use to run this game? Because you might have better luck with an older one on some games, you know, it's a weird situation like that. Then there's one that's listed as Proton Experimental. And you're like, okay, that's kind of like their bleeding edge branch, whatever, you know, that's their, their not, not quite nightlies, but it's, you know, a different, branch of it but even that version of proton has its limits enter glorious egg roll ge proton proton ge people call it both uh this is a fork of proton that is better at running basically what they've done is they've they've taken there's some dll's there's some things that you can uh, that, that are not open source. And this is a fun Linux thing where, you know, everything in Proton is designed to be open source, all this other stuff. And so that means there's some things like Media Foundation or, you know, some of these other things that display cutscenes that don't work. So like the codecs are not included. And so some games use some codecs on their cutscenes that regular Proton just simply cannot handle. And so in some games, you will just get a actually like, like color bars uh, is what they throw up, I think, when they encounter a video that they cannot uh, decode. This other fork of Proton, GE, is just like, fuck it, dog. We're putting it in there. Is it open source? I don't give a fuck uh, about that stuff. And so in some cases where videos don't play on some platform and on some official versions of Proton, GE does get them to work uh, and so on and so forth. And so it's this additional tinkery rabbit hole you can go down if you really want to start messing with the kind of Linux compatibility and all the other kind of Windows-based stuff. Uh I also tried to, uh, so I, I installed Mortal Kombat 11 and I'm running that with GE Proton and it works great. It runs great. It, it's full speed. Like it, it runs awesome. You're like, man, this is a really great looking game on this screen. It is running at a great frame rate. And then I'm like, I'm going to install Dead or Alive 6 because it says that's supported. The story mode in Dead or Alive 6 is broken. Everything else seems to work. You can get in there, play survival mode. I did not get online, but I'm pretty sure you can just get online and play and do all that other stuff. And But you try to hit story mode on that DOA 6 menu and you just get a black screen. And so it's like even some of the stuff that they have tested and say, yes, this is playable. You may still encounter situations where, you know, they maybe haven't tested every single mode. And so that's just, but none of this is a bad thing because it's actually really fun to fuck around with this stuff it's just stuff that you look at and and go yeah this is not a, this this device is not ready for mainstream use yet you know because you still run into those sorts of situations where like oh they have not fully tested every mode in this game and of course they haven't the steam library is massive like you know they of course right duh but uh yeah i don't know it's it's fun to fuck around with this because it, it this feels like I mean you can have as much of a Linux experience as you want right because it is just a computer you can break it <laughs> and re, re-image it and do all the stuff you know you can really fuck it up which is classically what I do with a Linux install that's like every couple of years I go like I got this computer here I should just put Linux on it it's old and I'm not going to play games on it I should I should I should put ubuntu on here and and fuck around with it and then i fuck around with it and it goes like hey man you don't have video you don't have the right video card drivers installed because those aren't open source motherfucker 
And I'm like, oh, well, just install them anyway. And I go through that process of trying to install those and it just breaks everything. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, oh, I guess I need to wipe this and start all over again because I have fucked it up beyond repair. Uh, simply trying to get things installed and running and, and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the Steam Deck feels like a light version of that. And they do a, what seems like a pretty good job of preventing you from... You, you You can break it as much as you want to break it, but they make a lot of stuff read-only in ways that prevent you from accidentally screwing up a lot of stuff. That said, when I went and installed MU Deck, which was one of the first things I did to get all those emulators up and running on it, the plugin it installed to try to get... Uh, which you can use to kind of clock up the cores, or you know, some of the emulators will run better if you use that plugin to have some some tweaks and um that's cool and all but also that plugin made my steam deck crash over and over again so uh i had to uninstall it and i had to manually figure out a way to uninstall it and all that sort of stuff anyway i like the steam deck a lot even after talking to you about the numerous different games that did not work in ways that i expected uh, I am having fun figuring that stuff out. I I finally was like, I'm going to register an account on ProtonDB so I can tell people about this. And, you know, so, yeah, I don't know. I That stuff's fun. Um, I also played just a smidge of Live Alive for the Nintendo Switch. This is a remake of the 1994 role-playing game where every story seems to feel like a side story of some kind and it has now gotten an official English translation and it is out in that kind of HD 2D style that I feel like has become increasingly divisive over time. I feel like I'm seeing a lot more chatter from people even around Live Alive saying like, I am, I fucking hate the way these games look. Octopath Traveler, all that other stuff. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. It's, and I don't know. I, I get why people might not like all the depth of field stuff in some of those other games, but I think what I've seen of Live Alive, I think looks good. I don't know. I feel like they have made good on that style without uh, making it look too tilt shifted or, or whatever. And, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've seen multiple people shitting on this graphical style uh but i don't know i i think i think live alive looks nice uh but all i did <laughs> i really did not play that much of it so that game if you're not familiar with it it launches and walks you through a little bit of story stuff and then it's like which chapter do you want to play and presents you with like basically seven different choices from uh different times so there's like a wild west there's a near future uh there's a present day and uh, so on and, and so forth. Different settings, different scenarios, different times. Uh, I chose present day because the description of that made it sound like a fighting game. And then sure enough, the first thing that happens is you get dropped onto a versus screen and you're picking a, a you're picking who you want to fight. And uh, I basically, I went through the fight of fighting Max Morgan, which is a professional wrestler and he's a bootleg Hulk Hogan. And I went through that fight a couple of times because I lost the first time and got a feel for the battle system. And I was like, this seems neat. And then uh, I ran. I, I, I will probably get back to it at some point. 
it's you know it's an active time battleish sort of game i guess it where like the you are watching meters fill up and when the meter is full you can act but also you are positioning yourself around the screen to kind of move in and out of range for certain types of attacks and the fun thing of the the present day scenario is that your your guy will learn the other attacks that are that are done to him um and so, you know, when, when the fake Hulk Hogan does a, a spinning, you know, a spinning lariat to you, you then learn it and you can do it back to him. And, and so a part of the present day scenario seems to be you learning the different moves and then taking them into battle against the other characters and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's much a, it's a very stilted sort of thing, whereas some of the other scenarios are much more like, all right, I'm going to walk my way through, you know, in a, in a more RPG esque fashion, and be out of battle for a while and get in and get into a fight and get out and all that sort of stuff. So it's interesting how different some of those scenarios seem to be. I say seem to be because I have not seen much of the other parts of that game. Um, I bet that game will land, you know, that's a game that probably sold, uh, you know, what, 300,000 copies in Japan back when it originally came out. And, it became this kind of like cult hit to a certain extent and eventually did get a fan translation. And, you know, so you do have people that are familiar with that game, but I, that style of game where it is, let's say slightly whimsical in its structure where you have these different protagonists and different ways that it fits together and different ways that the kind of main boss of the scenario presents itself in, in the way they tie all that stuff together. Um, I think that that will land a lot better. Yeah, no, that's the in a, in a in a post Undertale world, um, as well as other games. I, I think there's just you know the, the the audience for this style of game. I think is just more much more open to different takes on the concept and different different kind of flips and twists on the kind of genre conventions and all that sort of stuff than than they probably would have been back in the mid '90s. Um, it's cool. Live Alive is a cool game. I don't know that it's necessarily for me, per se. Uh, but I was watching one Seb Mall stream it last night, and there was a lot of toilet. To, yeah, he had some kind of poop badge, and it, well, there was a guy on a toilet. And there was, uh, I was like, okay, all right, all right, this game, okay, this game, this game seems all right. Um. So that's what I've been playing. I, you know, there, I, I was looking, thinking like, well, what's okay. What else is coming out? What's next? And it seems maybe slightly dry ish right now. I mean, there is furry Cyberfucker two, which is burning up the charts on steam. So, so there, there is that we've got something called Dinkum, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that that game must take place in Australia because Dinkum is a word I recognize from the Outback Steakhouse menu. So, so I'm sure it's super uh, legit. Oh right, yeah, Xenoblade's coming out. I am I am not I am not I am not your home for Xenoblade. <laughs> Straight up, uh, I wish you all best of luck with Xenoblade Three. 
uh, go with God, all that sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm good. I'm good over here on that one. Um, anyway, I guess all that paves the way for like a, a, a final return or not a final return, but the, another return to the temple of the dog. Get back into some dragon's dogma this week, maybe. Um, with that, why don't we get into some news? Ubisoft. The Assassin's Creed people. Uh, they had their earnings call last Thursday where they went ahead and canceled some video games. Ubisoft feels like a, I mean, and feels, it is, I guess. If you look at these delays and cancellations and just like the, the number of, of games they've announced and kind of dropped or, or just like haven't talked about, obviously Skull and Bones kind of recently resurfaced. And they, you know, they are gearing up to show the next Assassin's Creed in September, which is pretty close. I was like, oh, right. Oh, September, man. What? Oh, right. That's like a month out, basically. Uh, Ubisoft feels like a company that is in some turmoil when it comes to getting video games out the door. And as such, they have canceled a handful of games, including... Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Frontline. This was the Battle Royale-ish Tom Clancy game that they announced a while back. And they were like, hey, we're going to have a beta on this soon. And then the reaction to it was not positive. (laughs) Um, uh, People were extremely unhappy with the mere announcement of Ghost Recon Frontline. Um, and so they had a technical test that they were planning to do, and then they ended up canceling this. I, I am I am kind of rereading uh, Polygon's recap of, of some of this stuff. Special thanks to the folks at Polygon.com for writing things about video games and posting them to their website in a way that is easy to find. It's a short It's a short list of good video game sites that are good at posting their news in in a nice chronological order that is then easy to find and filter and get through and all that stuff. Polygon. They've done it. Um, yeah. So frontline people just shit all over it conceptually, even before that technical technical test could get off the ground. And so they postponed it and they were like, Oh shit. And then they ended up just, Never talking about it again until right now when they have canceled it. They also had a Splinter Cell VR game in the works that had been loosely talked about. I, th- I think that got officially announced. That's something that was in conjunction with Facebook. Whereas one of those things where it's going to pu- get published and only be on Oculus for a while or, or whatever. Anyway, the Splinter Cell VR game has also been canceled. Two unannounced games were also canceled. Uh, and so Video Games Chronicle goes on to... No, wait. I'm sorry. Do they not have... Okay, no. They, 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 yes, the, yes, the Video Games Chronicle does say yes. The Facebook was involved in the, in the Splinter Cell VR project. Bloomberg... 
um, also had something to say about some of this stuff. And, and there's some other games that have been delayed. <clears throat> Avatar Frontiers of Pandora was delayed into the next fiscal year. That means it won't come out before April 2023 at the earliest. I am, uh, I, oh, mm. I don't, I don't understand anything about why anyone would care about Avatar anything. I know that's not a unique take, but also I know that there are some people who really fucking love Avatar and I don't understand it. I will never understand it. They're going to make new Avatar movies, which I, I understand the, the first Avatar made a lot of money. And so they're going to make more of them. And um, of course, Ubisoft has the right. They're going to make that game. Another smaller game was delayed also into next fiscal year. Bloomberg is reporting that that smaller game is the game codenamed Rift, which is a, uh, a smaller in scope Assassin's Creed game that originally started as DLC for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, they Bloomberg goes on to say that the game is set to star Basim from Valhalla and is reportedly set in the Middle East. Uh, Ubisoft has also said that they will have a showcase in September uh, to show off the future of Assassin's Creed, among other things. And that is where the next big Assassin's sequel is set to be shown, which uh, has been referred to as Assassin's Creed Infinity and is said to be a platform... A, a service assassin assassination as a service is upon us and that that game will be shown off in September. Um, I, th- <sighs> Assassin's Creed. What a weird, what a weird road Assassin's Creed has been on for a very long time, right? I mean, they ended up I I it's it's impressive that they ended up making that big pivot into the more like RPG open world kind of thing that they've done over the last few games. And those games have been well liked uh by a lot of people. I they're I've been a little hit and miss on some of them. I appreciate that they found something new for it to be, but I think I'm also like kind of done with that style of Assassin's Creed game. And so I, I'm still, I am still of the mind that Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is probably the best game in the entire franchise. And I miss like, I, I miss that style of Assassin's Creed game. But also as I say that out loud, I don't think that they should go back to making those either. And so it just feels like one of those franchises that now that they've made that big change once, right? They're like, okay, these games are getting long in the tooth. We can't just keep cranking them out like this. We need to make a change. They made that change and found a whole new gear, if you will. Uh, to to make a different style of Assassin's Creed game that was much bigger in scope and crazier and 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 all this other stuff and <clears throat> and good on them, but I also think that now I I am at a point where I'm like, okay, you probably need to do that again and and try to come up with another thing for Assassin's Creed to be because it, to me it feels like there's been too many of those, and so I wonder, you know, if Assassin's Creed Infinity comes along and it just is 
a lot of that same style of gameplay that we've seen in the last few Assassin's Creed's. I, I do not think that I am there for that. <clears throat> like that's more important to me than the setting at this point is like, okay, what are we doing to like revitalize this gameplay? What are we doing to move it along and, and, and do all that sort of stuff? Like, I think that what they're doing now feels a little dated um, and would love to see them freshen it up in a, in a major way. I think that could be cool. Again, there, there have been, there have been a lot of good Assassin's Creed games and, and I hope that they make more of them. <laughs> uh, that's a bold take. I know. Uh, but God dang Ubisoft, right? Like that's the company that still claims they're going to make beyond good and evil too. What is that? That's not going to, that's, can we, can we just come together and say, no, it's really not going to happen. Or if it, or just come out and say, Hey, we've completely gone in a different direction with it. And and now it's even bigger. And now we've got to push it back even more, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing with it. If, if they are doing anything with it. But again, they did uh they did take a long break from not showing uh skull and bones to resurface skull and bones. <clears throat> and of course, Ubisoft has had a lot of other behind the scenes trouble in terms of sexual harassment and uh executives being held accountable or not being held accountable or or what have you for that sorts of things. There's been a lot happening at at, at Ubisoft and I feel like a good number of people have left And so one has to imagine that that does continue to have some kind of impact on these games getting finished and developed. X defiant is still in some kind of development, right? That's their, their not call of duty, Tom Clancy game. Uh, they ran some closed beta stuff for that a while ago. So that's presumably still, in the works and what else well there's roller champions uh that roller champions came out remember remember roller Cha- roller champions actually came out you can go get it and play it i at one point did um and i played through the tutorial and uh, and had a feeling of like i I don't think this is something I want to do in a video game. And that was, that was all my time with roller champions. And so you think about hyperscape and you think about roller champions and it's very easy to believe that roller champions is not long for this world. That is what one Jeff Grubb said on the Xbox era podcast where he claimed it was getting killed after season three. I don't know if they've, have they even started season one yet? I think maybe they're in season one. I don't know where they are. Um, this was enough for Ubisoft for the, for the official roller champions account to have to get out there and be like, no, no, uh, cancel. No, definitely not. And so they have issued this message in a screenshot or a, a rather a uh, they made a nice graphic and put it out there. And here is what they wrote. Hello, champions. 
Let's clear it out of the way first. Roller Champions isn't getting canceled, and Ubisoft fully supports it. That's in bold. They want to they get that out of the way first. So pretty well refuting this Jeff Grubb thing, but mm, I, time will tell on this one. I say, uh, they go on and they say, what the Roller Champions dev team is doing is making sure we focus on what our players have told us needs improvement and that supersedes all other priorities. What does that mean? It means we're extending Disco Fever's length. This would be a great time to explain what the fuck Disco Fever is, but goddamn, I have no idea. I'm going to assume that's the name of season one or something to, to that effect. Um, <laughs> Cause that's, that's what it seems like you would call it uh, anyway. They have extended the length of disco fever and they're doing this for two main reasons. One, we will push out a patch that includes cross invites so that we deliver on the game's promise uh, as being a resolutely social experience. We will announce when this patch comes out as soon as it is validated and good to go. Two, we will take enough time to solve the issues our players have voiced as irritants before we release our new season. The cross-invite patch will include fixes, but we will be working on more improvements after its release before we launch the next season. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, maybe they were just under-communicated about what they were doing to the game, and so that led to a, some of this speculation. Um... I will say that Jeff Grubb usually has like reasonably good sources on stuff and is not the sort of guy that just talks out his ass, but obviously plans change as well. Right. That's the, that's the thing that uh, the uh, wrestling reporting world uh, gets locked up in a lot is readers that don't seem to understand that plans change pal. Um, And they go, you said this was going to happen and it didn't. It's like, no, reported instead I reported on what was the plan at the time, and this stuff turns on a dime. Maybe we'll turn less on a dime in the world of wrestling now, if things really are changing. Anyway. Maybe we'll talk about that later in the show. Feels like something to address. Sure, yes. No, uh, and and Menex flip in the chat says it could also be fake info to weed out leakers within Ubisoft. Sure. Yeah. That doesn't that does not seem to happen as often as, as you think. Um, or you rarely hear about, uh, as, as someone who has had sources for a while, you know, at, at times in my career, more has been more a part of my day to day than others. When it comes to those sorts of things, uh, you rarely hear about sources getting fired for stuff leaking. I can think of one exact instance that did not involve me. That was a case where, someone was careless and like Sony was investigating people's like desk phones and who called who and did all this other stuff. And they dug up something within someone's email or whatever it was. Um, but generally speaking, that that's the, the mole hunt thing doesn't seem to happen all that often. Or if it does, people are good at covering their tracks, whatever, whatever. Anyway, there's more here. As far as content is concerned, we can tell you that we've got exciting stuff planned for the next seasons. We strongly believe, however, that before we release new content, we've got to do right by our players. Hence why we are taking the time needed before we do. You can rest assured we'll keep you updated as we roll forward. 
a roller dev team. Yeah, so it sounds like that they are, have recognized that the game needs work, and yeah, it's probably not worth putting out new content. Uh, this sounds like something where they try to put these patches out and then try to get behind it again and try to almost like relaunch it and say like, "Hey, roller champions, it's not it's less bad now." Um or 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 whatever the the situation is, but god dang, there's so much stuff competing for players' time and mind share in this day and age that I, you know, I just roller champions. Like I, I've already, I already forgot about roller champions because of that other roller skating game that got announced that looked kind of rad and seems to not necessarily be a big multiplayer thing. Uh, that that I hear is I hear is actually really cool. Um, roller drome, yes. Roller drome looks pretty rad. Um, roller champions, I thought. Yeah, like, like I said, I went through the t- tutorial, which is to say I did not necessarily get into the game and play it, so I'm not going to sit here and pass full judgment on it. I will just say that everything I did in the t- tutorial in terms of uh, pumping to gain speed and just general control over the skating and stuff did not feel good right out of the gate. And so uh, my reaction was to go like, okay, I'm good. I don't know that I need to then go try to play this competitively when I already don't like the way it controls. So... Uh, I don't know if they intend to make any changes there, if that's stuff that they are looking at, or if it's really just this cross-invite stuff and, and some other things. But the the initial burst of my time with Roller Champions was enough to get me to uninstall, so I don't know. Um, and it just doesn't seem like it's garnered... like th- th- this. It is very easy to forget that Roller Champions ever existed in the first place. And so when you see stories like, hey, they're going to they've they're going to get through Season 3 and then kill it, it's extremely easy to believe that. Extremely easy. If they can turn it around, then they'll turn it around. Right? Like, that's the thing. Is, is if, if they make these changes and they find ways to get players into the groove and get players into roller champions and all of that sort of stuff, then, then great. Then, yeah, then maybe it'll go 20 seasons. Who can say, right? They at least have the time to work on these patches and try to make things happen. So, you know, with, with any luck, they get there. Hopefully that'd be cool. That'd be cool if they got there and found a way to make roller champions viable. But again, it it just, it seems very easy to believe that this game will, will get a few seasons under its belt, whether it's three, whether it's two, whether it's four, it's probably, you know, three makes sense as, you know, as the, the initial nugget of this story makes sense in terms of like, okay, season one is out the door. Season two is probably already well underway and season three is probably already partially in production. And so might as well put out all that work and then stop and then do not make anything else for it. Do not devote any further resources to it and kill it or, or let it die in a hyperscape esque way. That was just April of this year. I believe that uh, hyperscape was shut down. But for a long time before that, the Hyperscape servers were up and no one was playing it. I I tried finding Hyperscape matches a few times over the course of, of that game's kind of downward uh, spiral. And I eventually joined the Hyperscape Discord, the official Hyperscape Discord, just to see what the heck was going on there. And it was a lot of people going like, hey, is anyone still working on this game? And no real 
and 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 no no real uh responses from from a dev team or 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 anything like that it just sort of seemed like that game was was more or less running on autopilot for for some time so i you know i don't know i i I wish the best to the team that is working on roller champions i hope that they do find a way to kind of pull this thing out but it is you know separate from this story and this news and all this other stuff it simply does not feel that roller champions uh captured the imaginations of a nation and and found a real audience I, i just i feel like i have not seen I feel like even at launch, I don't know that I saw a lot of people talking about Roller Champions. It was something that I kind of had to go out of my way and be like, oh, right, this just came out. I should install this and give it a look and and stuff like that. But just never, it never felt like anything that was going to be viable, which that's got to suck, right? Especially, God, damn, you know, there are so many competitive shooters and just all this other, there's so many games that just fall into such a similar bucket these days something about the idea of, Hey, we made this weird sports focused roller skating thing where you're like shooting balls through hoops or whatever it is. You know, at least it's different, but you know, it it feels like it didn't even capture an audience the size of, of like knockout city, like knockout city feels like it, it, uh, found more people than, than this did. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do there. I mean, what I think what you do is you go like, well, we've got a lot of this content already in some stage of finished and uh, we'll put out those seasons and then we'll send it off and we'll find something else for this team to do and hopefully not have to lay anyone off or, or whatever. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I, my, my gut tells me that even if, even if Jeff Grubb is currently wrong about it getting killed after season three, I think in in due time that will end up being approximately true. You know, even if that team is like, no, we're still working on it. We're still going. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see it happening for ro- for roller champions. All right. PlayStation VR two. This hit this morning. They uh, issued some new details on the user experience for Sony's upcoming PlayStation 5 VR headset. And this is stuff that you've seen on other headsets. This is a, you know, that, that so the PlayStation VR 2 will have inside-out tracking, which if you're not familiar with the world of VR, that means that there are cameras on the headset itself instead of you having to position cameras around your room or sensors of some kind or, or what have you. The, the you put on the headset it beams out to the room it goes oh we know we know what the size of this room is we're good makes setup a whole lot easier it's how they can get away with having a one cable solution all that sort of stuff it's the i feel like that is the modern standard for like mainstream level of vr you know obviously the valve index and all this other stuff is still using the big external sensors and those definitely have their benefits but it's a lot pricier well pricier maybe not but it, it is more hardware that you have to put up in a room and i think we're seeing more and more that there's just not as many people that want to do that um and with inside out you can you know you are you are tracking the position of the controllers all that all that other stuff you know so it is doing all of the tracking in the headset itself uh with those cameras you get the option for 
pass through cameras. You get to, you know, while you're wearing the headset, you can see through it and see the world around you. The Quest does that. Uh, the Oculus Quest 2, sorry, the, the Meta Quest 2, the Facebook Quest 2, um, has that. This will have it as well. A kind of uh, a see-through view, which is handy if you're like, where did I put the fucking controllers? Where's my phone? Where's my drink? You know, like all that sort of stuff. You can you can turn on that view to see the world around you. Um, and so they also have uh, basically they show a, a very slight clip of you of a, of a headset kind of looking around a room and it the watching that inside out tracking kind of map the space and figure out where you are where the floor is all that other stuff and and figure out where the obstacles are and and all of all of those pieces of the puzzle um which is pretty cool and that'll you can customize the size of your play area again this is something you can do on a quest in terms of like hey i need to you know draw my square i need to draw the area that is safe for me to be in and then outside of this area is where the walls are so they can put up some boundaries and show you where the boundaries are when you're in game so you don't accidentally punch out a window or something dumb like that. Um, they have gone ahead and said that it will have a cinematic mode, which is uh, the, the original PlayStation VR had this as well. You can basically play your 2D content inside of the headset if you so desire. Uh, this will work at 1080p. Well, it'll be 1920 by 1080 HDR video with 24 and 60 hertz, as well as 120 hertz frame rate. So if you don't have 120 hertz TV, but you buy a PSVR 2, you could still technically play those high frame rate games inside the headset, which is kind of neat. Um, I have not gotten a ton of use out of these these sorts of features. The idea of like, you can play any game in the headset if you want. I'm like, yeah, I could, but... Eh, I like my monitors and the monitor I'm sitting in front of has a higher frame rate than those headsets do. So, you know, there's, there's that too, but you know, depending on your situation, that could be something cool. Uh, if you want to play games a certain way, or if you, you know, Hey, someone else is using the television to watch TV and you're like, fuck this. I got to play destiny right now. Uh, you can log into destiny Two in this cinematic mode. Uh, And the last piece of this that they announced is a broadcast feature. Uh, if you have the PlayStation 5 camera, which I wonder how many of the, I know at launch those were not that easy to find, but I wonder, I mean, it's not like, I don't think anything uses that, that camera. Because even if you're trying to use an original PlayStation VR on your PlayStation 5, you still have to have the old camera hooked up to do it. Um, and so the use case for that PlayStation 5 camera seems very low. Here's one more use for it, though, is you can live, you can hook it up and live stream while you're doing VR stuff. And the they actually show a green screen ish kind of cutout of you of a of a player, you know, standing in front of a VR game. And it says here a new broadcast feature for PSVR 2 will allow you to film yourself while playing by connecting an HD camera to the console. It's a great way to show your movements and reactions during a boss battle and share your reactions with your fellow gamers as it happens. So I don't know if there's going to be a dynamic background removal there or if they're just implying that the person in this particular screenshot just happens to have a green screen set up behind them. But I think the implication here is that I I assume it would have background removal because otherwise what are we doing? Um, 
that's cool that you know I, I think sony has been the best at making vr feel just a little bit more social from a local perspective you know what i mean like in terms of like uh you can watch the 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 image on the tv while someone else is playing in the headset and you can still see what they're doing you can still you know you communicate with them and without going like what are you looking at and they go like i was a big dragon and you're like does it look good yeah but you can see the dragon that's the sony difference you can see the dragon uh, and so that's a big thing for social type of stuff. They also had a couple of cases on the PS4 where you had um, multiplayer games where players on the TV would see something different than the players in the headset. It's a classic Pac-Man versus type of scenario. Um, and I think that's a really cool idea. But like, yeah, the, the ability to do all that sort of stuff and have something resembling a social experience while still integrating VR into it I think is huge. And I think that that's a, that's a great, that's a great thing that Sony has done and, and they need to find new ways to do stuff like that. Because I think one of the biggest problems you run into with virtual reality is just how closed off that player is in most situations. And so anything where it's like, you can have friends sitting on a couch and you can all see what they're doing and, and, you know, and have that shared experience. I think, um, just makes it more social, just makes it easier to engage with it in a group setting. And, and I think that that is, that matters a lot. Uh, the, the camera broadcast stuff, the, the play and stream, that stuff's fun. Like VR streaming is a fucking pain in the ass. I don't know if you noticed, but, um, but that's a hassle. Um, and a lot of the video out stuff, I have not tried it in a while, but the, the, you can do video out on a quest too, but it feels like every time I did it, it ran like shit. It was like, okay, this works. And also now the game runs at half the frame rate or boy, this headset's going to burn off my face or something with how hard it's run. You know, there's there were a lot of scenarios there that just seemed like it was not built to actually do the screen sharing that it was supposed to do wirelessly. Um, I think the, the wireless, you know, being able to wirelessly connect a quest to, to a PC to me really matters. Like the, the wireless experience I think makes a huge difference as well. And so, you know, Sony has been touting their single wire solution and that will be worlds better than their previous headset for sure. But, um, it's still a wire. I don't know. Uh, it's it's not a big deal, I guess, because you're going to be in the living room or wherever your console is. You're going to have to be near it anyway to do any of those socially things, socially type things anyways. So maybe that's not that big of a deal. Um, it is still only one wire, which is nice, but uh, I prefer no wires. Obviously battery. Yes, battery life becomes a big consideration there when you are when you are going full wireless, depending on what you're doing. <clears throat> Um, they go on to say, uh, you know, so this is really a demo of like what it looks like, what the menu on the PS five looks like. And they show like, yeah, Hey, you'll be able to pull up a thing and adjust screen brightness and do some other stuff like that. And and so that, that's kind of the other crux of this post to the PlayStation blog. They do end it by saying, uh, developers will get their hands on this software soon. It sounds like they don't currently have it. Uh, and they say, there are lots of exciting things to look forward to for PSVR 2, and we can't wait to share more details about our next-generation virtual reality headset that takes a dramatic leap forward in gameplay innovation. 
We'll share more information soon, including launch date and additional games coming to the platform. So, yeah. That's kind of what we need to see now, right? Like, whatever. Everything about this headset seems super viable. It sounds great. This sounds like a great headset. The PlayStation VR headset, I've had a lot of trouble with the tracking, personally, but it also was a very comfortable headset. I think the controllers for the PSVR 2 look solid in a, you know, in a Quest-like way. I think that the, hopefully the headset is as comfortable, if not more comfortable, than the previous model. And hopefully it is reasonably priced. Because I think that that is... You know, what do we, like, what, what do we want out of this, right? What you want, you want something that is going to be cheap enough for players to invest in because you need to build an install base because without the install base, you don't attract developers to make VR games without paying them. And Sony did do that in some cases where they, you know, they did some deals, they assisted with some development, they, they did some things along the way there. But... I, you know, like you have to have all those pieces in place. I, I, don't, I don't think you can come out with PlayStation VR 2 at like a high price. I think, you know, if, if this thing goes, so PlayStation VR 1 launched at $400. That seems like a good price point to me. Um, it'll, it's a little more difficult because the controllers obviously have a lot more tech in them and, the, you know, the screens are nice and all this other stuff, but I just don't, I think if you make that thing cost as much as a PlayStation 5 or more, um, you're not going to get the players. And that's been one of the big problems for getting players on board with VR has been like, well, this is expensive. And so then developers say, hey, not enough of these headsets are selling. So we're not going to make games for it unless Sony pays us to do it. And then Sony subsidizes that stuff out of the gate and tries to do what they can. But I that becomes a hard problem in a lot of different ways from that becomes a hard problem from a lot of, a lot of different angles, right? This real chicken and egg problem of like, why the fuck would I make a VR game when it's at times it's even hard to justify why you're making a PlayStation five game because you know, that they're selling plenty of them, but they still are hard to find and all that sort of stuff. Like now you're going to have a subset of the PlayStation five install base to work with. Like that's, that gets to be a tough sell for some developers unless you're paying them to make games for your for your VR platform. And I think they will run into some issues if they try to charge too much for it. Um, so now let's get into the other side of this conversation. Where... Uh, over on the Oculus blog... They are increasing the price of the Quest 2. That's not something you hear every day. Like, hey, this platform that's been out for a while, we have decided to make it more expensive. Uh, I, I will grant you that Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call them, seems fucked in a lot of different ways right now. Like they are, they are slowing down hiring there. You know, there's, there's a, the verge has a story. I think today 
talking about Zuckerberg and his attempts to get the Facebook employees in line and uh, all of that sort of stuff. So anyway, this post hit the Oculus blog today. We've been all in on VR since the early days of PC and mobile, all the way through to today's premium standalone 6DOF headsets. And we've invested billions of dollars to help nurture a thriving VR ecosystem. Now, we're making a change that will help us continue to invest for the long term and keep driving the VR industry forward with best-in-class hardware, action-packed games, and cutting-edge research on the path to truly next-gen devices. Starting in August, MetaQuest 2 will cost $399 and $499 for the 128GB and 256GB versions, respectively. And, for a limited time, Every new headset purchase will include an offer to download the popular VR rhythm game Beat Saber at no additional cost. Alongside these changes, we'll also increase the prices for MetaQuest 2 accessories and refurbished units. And then the next paragraph. VR's momentum is undeniable. <laughs> Literally. Literally the next fucking sentence. Like, oh, really? Really? From gaming to productivity to fitness and beyond, VR has become increasingly popular as it positively impacts the way we work, play, and connect with each other. People have spent over $1 billion on MetaQuest apps, helping to fuel developers' businesses as they deliver the games and experiences that make VR great. At the same time, the costs to make and ship our products have been on the rise. By adjusting the price of Quest 2, we can continue to grow our investment in groundbreaking research and new product development that pushes the VR industry to new heights. We have an ambitious VR hardware roadmap beginning with the launch of our high-end headset project Cambria later this year, and we plan to ship new generations of the MetaQuest after that. At Reality Labs Research, we have teams dedicated to advancing the state-of-the-art in VR displays, audio, incredibly lifelike avatars. Wait, that's a link. Is this going to be a link to the fucking to their stupid shit? No, this is something else. The Codec Avatars Project. Alright, um... Haptics, wrist-based interfaces, and more. And on the content front, we have a robust lineup of exciting titles coming to Quest 2, including Ghostbusters VR, Among Us VR, Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2, Bone Lab, NFL Pro Era, VR's first officially licensed NFL game. Even with these pricing changes, MetaQuest 2 continues to be the most affordable VR headset with a a comparable feature set on the market. Each headset keeps getting better after you buy (laughs) And each headset keeps getting better after you buy. Like, really? Uh, Yeah, so let's see. What else? Uh, We'll continue shipping exciting new software updates to improve our products. Now's the right time for us to double down on our efforts to push the state of the art forward. This sucks. This sucks. Like, I I get, like, I understand the concept of Hey, costs are crazy. Hey, parts are expensive. Hey, um, like this is tough to keep going, but like, uh, this seems bad for virtual reality to me. Because what does this mean for, you know, their next headsets for the, for their high end headset project Cambria? And for whatever becomes the Quest 3. 
how do you intend like again because we as we just said and i this is something that you see in terms of developer excitement around vr and in terms of funding uh for vr companies which seems like it's very different now than it was some number of years ago where you had a lot of uh, investors willing to just fucking throw a ton of money at vr at, at vr startups and, and and stuff like that it was like oh this is this is a great time to try to you know start a new vr company and try to invest in this growing space and and all this other stuff but you know like raising the price of these headsets a hundred dollars at a time when you know if we are if we're truly teetering on the brink of recession and we are getting to a point where you know inflation has got to a point where you know the average individual is going to be feeling it in the pocketbook as they say a lot more Who the fuck's going to go out and spend $500 on a fucking VR headset when you can't even you know like the, again when the when the, ongoing development of games in VR feels like it is still something that is oftentimes being subsidized by Facebook or by Sony. Uh, or it is like kind of smaller devs making cool things. And, and you know, like there's tons of cool shit in VR. There's a lot of great shit happening in VR, but like when you build your list of things you're recommending to people that are just buying a VR headset, it there's a lot of stuff on there that's like years old. You know, there's stuff on there. That you're like, oh no, this is still the canon of VR games you should play. We're still in this same era. And it doesn't, in, in some cases, there's been ongoing development that has replaced some of those older games. And you're like, hey man, th- like there's a bunch of new crazy shit. But not that much. And so how do you build that install base in a way that makes it more viable for more developers to want to make more games for these platforms. This, this does not seem like the path forward for that. This does not seem like the, this seems like, uh, you know, they're raising the price in August. So if you were thinking about buying a quest, I guess act now, but, um, this doesn't seem great. And then you map this back onto what do you think they'll charge for the PlayStation VR two in the wake of this, in the wake of, Oh, Hey, our closest competition in terms of like a consoleized sort of VR experience just raised their prices. And their headset is not nearly as nice as the one we are making with all of these big screens and all, you know, like all that sort of stuff. So if you're Sony, what do you do? Obviously it's not a a pure one-to-one comparison because you have to own a $500 or, you know, you have to own a a PlayStation five to get in at all. And so the headsets themselves do not have to have as much tech in them because they're not fully contained. So you've got that working in your favor in terms of pricing, but none of this i i just i look at this and just think like none of this bodes well for like the near-term future of vr i think long term the headsets keep getting better uh long term eventually this stuff hits a tipping point where it's easy enough and you know, maybe they get the consumers back at that point but yeah does this end up just being like a high-end kind of prosumer 
enthusiast market? Does this end up being like location based where people are like, yeah, no, come to the big warehouse we're renting and play these big VR games because you can't do that in your house. Um, none of, none of this, none of this looks like it's moving in the right direction. None of this looks like it's moving in a direction to make VR bigger to make VR more accessible to more players, which is the problem, right? Uh, how are you going to get developers to put AAA, you know, how are you going to get, uh, and, and granted, this is a, this is a weird example, but like, how are you going to get the next Grand Theft Auto to be a VR product if you can't get enough headsets out there for it to be worth their while to do it? You know, how, the, the biggest games in, in the market. How, unless you're paying them, again, unless you're subsidizing situations where, you know, like, like Sony paid Capcom to have the Resident Evil VR stuff. You know, like unless you're you're going out there as the hardware manufacturer and subsidizing that work and saying hey we need to do this because it's the only way we're going to you know we need software to sell this hardware duh so i just yeah man um and and now you have this case of meta kind of like waving a white flag in a certain way to say like, yeah, the, the way we've been doing it did not lead to, because if they, if they were selling enough of these and enough games were selling to keep enough games coming onto the platform to make this engine run, they probably wouldn't need to do this, right? But it clearly, this has to be a sign that it ain't happening. And so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. This this seems like a uh, this seems like a very bad omen to me, and uh, I'm sure on the Sony end, there's probably a little bit of a, a sigh of relief because they're like, okay, the price point we have to hit just went up a little bit. We have maybe a little bit more breathing room to figure it out. Or on the other end, now they know they can definitely come in under the Quest Two price and try to make a, a go of it that way, or you know, whatever. There are a lot of different ways to look at it, right? And so. But I bet uh, some of Sony's math probably did just change a little bit in the wake of this announcement, and so we'll we'll see how that comes along. But I this this to me says bad things about virtual reality and its viability in the marketplace. Um. And granted, like those are all very real market forces and all that other sort of stuff that they're alluding to. I'm sure it is more expensive for them to make those headsets. Also, they're fucking Facebook. But also, what they did the, the quarter of that Verge story, ten billion dollars in ad revenue got up and walked away when Apple made its privacy change. So that's Facebook trying to figure things out and go like, oh shit, what are we doing over here? Um. Which makes me cackle. Um, what are you going to do? All right. Uh, Minecraft. Everyone's favorite NFT marketplace. Minecraft. <laughs> Mojang got out there and said, Yo, man. Fuck these NFTs. Keep them out of our product. Keep our name out your dirty fucking mouths. 
Get that shit away from our game. Is what they said. This is a... They posted an update to their website. The uh, Polygon also is reporting on this. Um, And basically, this is them saying, hey, you cannot use our platform as a way to sell your fucking NFTs. Uh, It says, well, you know, hey, while we're in the process of updating our usage guideline to offer more precise guidance on new technologies, we want to take the opportunity to share our view that integrations of NFTs with Minecraft are generally not something we will support or allow. If you are a player or creator actively involved in the buying, selling, or trading of NFTs that make use of Minecraft, like skins or worlds, we strongly suggest you go through the information below. Otherwise, it's likely these changes won't affect you. Uh, So they say, in our usage guidelines, we outline how a server owner can charge for access and that all players should have access to the same functionality, uh, and that they use those rules to ensure that Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. NFTs, however, can create models of scarcity and exclusion that conflict with our guidelines and the spirit of Minecraft. To ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experiences, uh, experience, blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our client and server applications, nor may Minecraft in-game content such as worlds, skins, persona items, or other mods be utilized by blockchain technology to create a scarce digital asset. And then they go on to have some reasoning here to say some companies have recently launched NFT implementations implementations that are associated with Minecraft world files and skin packs. Other examples of how NFTs and blockchain could be utilized with Minecraft include creating collectible NFTs, allowing players to earn NFTs through activities performed on a server or earning rewards for activities outside the game. Each of these uses creates digital ownership based on scarcity and exclusion, which does not align with our values of creative inclusion and playing together. Uh, we're also concerned that some third-party NFTs may not be reliable and may end up costing players who buy them. Some third-party implementations are also entirely dependent on blockchain technology and may require an asset manager who might disappear without notice. There have also been instances where NFTs were sold at artificially or fraudulently inflated prices. We recognize that creation inside our game has intrinsic value and we strive to provide a marketplace where those values can be recognized. As such... Blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our client and server applications, nor may they be utilized to create NFTs associated with any in-game content, including worlds, skins, persona items, or other mods. So, yeah. um, And they say, we'll be paying close attention to blockchain technology over time. However, we have no plans of implementing technology into Minecraft right now. And so basically they said, fuck all this shit, uh, which is the right move, you know, like it's, you know, you can't, you can't have your brand associated with something that has been largely associated with people getting ripped off. You know what I mean? Uh, At the same time, the way they have written it does sound like it is largely uh, protective of their existing marketplace, which to then hide behind the notion of like, we don't, we want everyone to have an inclusive experience. And that includes buying skins and worlds on our marketplace, you know, Uh, but obviously that a lot of that stuff largely applies to the Windows store version 
of Minecraft. Obviously, the Java version is a little bit different and a lot more open to be fucked with. <clears throat> um, so this has led to... Uh, there's an article on PCGamer.com where an NFT-based Minecraft platform has struck back and said, no, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and they're called NFT Worlds. And they say, NFT Worlds is a fully decentralized, fully customizable, community-driven, play-to-earn gaming platform where world owners can create their own limitless metaverse games or experiences for players in exclusive communities within their worlds. Currently using Minecraft and its sprawling open-source ecosystem, NFT Worlds builds on the backbone of a decade's worth of open-source development within the Minecraft community and radically expands on it to enable an entirely new types of 3D voxel-based decentralized gaming metaverses backed by the Ethereum blockchain. That's from their website. Uh, obviously, their, their price, uh, the price of whatever their token or whatever their fucking thing is, crashed pretty hard after Minecraft came out and said, nah. And so these guys claim that they're going to make their own game. They're like, we'll make our own Minecraft then. We're going to make our own. Well, okay. If, well, we'll fuck. You. We're going to make our own fucking Minecraft. How about that? Dick. Uh, they've said uh, that this move has no regard for creators, builders, and players. And then they say, we're creating a new game and platform based on many of the core mechanics of Minecraft. But with the modernization and active development, Minecraft has been missing for years. What? This is not a rewrite or some open source Minecraft clone, which would likely violate the EULA or still risk legal action. This is entirely from the ground up. This transition will additionally come with a public-facing brand identity change that is more player-friendly. And so, as PC gamers dug into it, the new game they claim will have a playstyle. It'll have a playstyle look and feel similar to Minecraft, but will feature performance optimizations, graphical improvements, and new mechanics that will deliver a more accessible, ownable, and enjoyable playing experience. That's right. In their merged version of Minecraft, you can get owned. It'll be free for all players and completely untethered from the policy enforcement Microsoft and Mojang have over Minecraft. At the same time, according to PC Gamer, it will also be backwards compatible with existing Minecraft server plugins. So it sounds like they're going to go make their own fucking bootleg Minecraft that they can inject all their fucking NFT bullshit into and trying to maintain some level of compatibility while also not making Minecraft while also making Minecraft. While also making a pay-to-earn Minecraft. Pay-to-earn? Yeah. No, yeah. Pay-to-earn. Sure. Let's go with pay-to-earn. Uh, yeah. This is... Uh, uh, yeah, and then there's... Okay, there's another one last little bit from, from this company here in this PC Gamer story. Microsoft has made it clear they will always act in the interest of their shareholders and balance sheet to the detriment of innovation, player experience, and creators. We believe an open, free, evolved version of what Minecraft brought to the world will be a better future for creators, developers, and ultimately gamers. We're fighting for a future with a player-owned and operated economy, 
where all participants benefit from their contributions to the ecosystem, we recognize this is a monumental task. Fucking get fucked. That's the, 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 the thing that I, you know, whatever. There's a lot of gross stuff about the the way that companies are trying to dump a bunch of blockchain bullshit into video games, but whenever they frame it as like, this is a fight for you, the player. We're doing this for you. Certainly not so we can get rich instead of Microsoft. It's for you. This is about freedom. Freedom for you to own the shit we're selling. And fuck that. Fuck that fucking horse shit. I will grant you that there is a lot of monetization in modern video games uh, that sucks. There are a lot of weird and bad business models out there. However, I think Minecraft has actually done okay <laughs> on, on that front. Um, so, yeah. Uh, of course, they're fighting for that future where they get a taste of every single sale of their fucking bullshit digital assets. Like, what a... just. It's astounding, you know? These fucking people still think that they're trying to fight some good fight. Uh, or who knows if they actually believe that bullshit, but they try to frame it that way as like, like we're good guys. We're out here fighting for you. The user we're like Tron. Fuck you. Uh, this stuff is not making better video games. This stuff is making this stuff is adding hassle to video games and this stuff is adding additional levels of grift to video games and uh, oftentimes these people come off like people that have no fucking idea what video games are or should be and they are just purely acting in the direction of hey we think there's money to be made here Um, if there's one thing that's been proven over the last 20 years is that video game players will spend a lot of money on dumb shit. What if we did some dumb shit and we found a way to get paid without having to go and make a popular video game first? What if we didn't have to go through the steps of actually making a video game people wanted to play and then monetized on the back of that? What if instead we made a game where that monetization was integrated so deeply that we just attract players that want to buy it because they think it's like some kind of fucking land grab? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Um, Xbox has integrated Discord support into the Xbox console. This is something that is on Xbox Insider builds right now. So if you've opted your Xbox into advanced versions of the software, I am on whatever the alpha skip ahead ring is as bleeding edge as possible. Um, and so I, I tried this a little bit. It is the clunkiest integration of this stuff I have ever seen. <laughs> um, it is a little weird considering Sony made a minority investment in discord a while back and talked about how they had big plans for integrating with discord and, and all this other stuff. And then that kind of finally rolled out or, or something finally rolled out. And it was just like, 
oh yeah, if you if you attach your your PlayStation account to it, then when you're playing a PlayStation game, it will show on your Discord status, which is like the lowest level of integration possible. I think this is an actual voice chat integration. Um, and I think it's good for, I think both consoles should be doing this. I think having a central, especially as more games go cross platform, I think there's, you're going to have more and more of a push to find ways to get console players into a cross platform chat environment. And if you are not willing to build and run that yourself, this discord is already doing it. And so discord is well positioned. I think to, to be that player that exists in that middle space. Um, but it is a very strange integration. Uh, granted, it is in, in some kind of insider build. It is not something that is rolled out wide. And so I can only hope that this gets better. But the way they have done it gave me flashbacks of the Nintendo app. <laughs> um, okay, let me make sure I get this right. So the first thing you have to do is you have to you attach your Discord account to your Microsoft account. This is something they allowed beforehand for similar reasons as that Sony integration. But you have to do it again because they've changed the permissions and all this other stuff. So you attach those two accounts the same way you would do anything like that. Um, then you have to be on Discord on the mobile, the, you, the phone app version of Discord. This isn't something you can initially do from the... Yeah, I think you can eventually do this. No, I, I actually, I don't know. You cannot. You yeah, So you have to be on the mobile version of Discord. Join a voice channel. Once you are in said voice channel on your phone, there is a button that appears that says transfer to Xbox console. Then you hit that button. And then your phone launches the Xbox app, which you also must have installed on your phone. And then that Xbox app sends something to your Xbox that says, here is the voice channel you are to connect to. And then it connects to it. Um, once you're, once you've jumped through those hoops, it's there. It works. You know, you can do it and you can have, you know, it, it's treated. It shows up in the pullout tab the same way your existing voice chats do and all that sort of stuff. It's there. It works. And so, once you jump through those hoops, which it seems like you have to jump through every time you get into a voice channel from the looks of things, you can then do that. Assuming you are wearing a headset on your Xbox and, and all that other stuff. Um, and so like that, it, it's clunky and strange and probably should be better. Uh, and I don't know if that's like, I, th- there probably should be a discord app that runs on the console directly where you join and then join your voice channel from there or something. And and maybe that's the missing link here that just hasn't rolled out yet. And it's not ready yet or, or whatever, but the idea that you're like, okay, now let me go to my, and I'm going to scan this QR code on my phone, which will automatically launch this and then click this and do this. And then, you know, like that stuff's, uh, weird. That's a weird way to go about it. And so hopefully they are looking at different ways to smooth that out. Like I said, I think you you probably just want to have a Discord app on the console itself that lets you join those voice chat channels. And, you know, I, I think even just allow the whole 
allow the entire discord experience, honestly, you know, let people hook up a keyboard and, and do, and do full discord might as well. Um, but I, this, this seems like something that should be smoother and, and, and probably needs, probably needs something like that to, to take some of the steps out of this. This seems like something you should just be able to do on the console itself and not have to fuck around with your phone. Um, here's an interesting, (laughs) all right. Gamesindustry.biz has an interview with, uh, Stefan Dastos, Dastos, I'm, I'm mangling this gentleman's last name. But uh, Stefan is, is the founder of Idos Montreal. And uh, this is... Um, I'm sorry, I'm actually trying to figure out the, the nature of... Okay, yeah, this, this is... He, he spoke with gamesindustry.biz. You, you remember how all of the talk around Square Enix and how they treated their Western studios... Like everyone joked a lot about like, oh, what, uh, which, which, um, who, who, which Western studio are we blaming for our shortfall this quarter? You know, which, which financial, you know, Hey, it's, it's financial reporting time. Who are we going to blame this time? Crystal dynamics, uh, the, the, the Avengers stuff. Like who, who are we, who are we going after this time? Um, and it sounds like that this is uh, exactly how we thought it sounded in a weird way. Uh, there's some some crazy quotes in here. Um, yeah, this this interview is about a little bit more than that, but I think the the weird the crazy part is is the, this stuff where it's like Square Enix has become notorious for declaring multi million selling games to be disappointments. And Dastu, Dastu reports that this, this extended behind the scenes as well. He recalls a meeting regarding the company's financial performance for 2012, where the IDOS group of studios was expected to generate $65 million in profit. Instead, he was told the developers had lost $65 million that year. We were dumbfounded, he says, especially because my studio didn't have any deliverables for that year. At which point he began receiving messages from the team worrying about the fate of the studio. He repeatedly called on management in London to discuss a solution only to receive silence. Um, this sounds... <clears throat> nothing, never mind. The pressure was starting to build on my employees towards me, me towards my superiors. I think when people are in a crisis situation where there's a lot, where there's a lot of situations... You do see their core behavior on values, and I didn't like what I saw. There really was a lack of leadership, courage, and communication. I mean, you don't have those basic basic things. No employee can do their job correctly, especially when you're heading a studio. I was losing hope that Square Enix Japan would bring great things to IDOS. I was losing confidence in my headquarters in London. In their annual fiscal reports, Japan always added one or two phrases saying, we were disappointed with certain games. They didn't reach expectations. And they did that strictly for certain games that were done outside of Japan. Uh, and then Dastu left Idos Montreal in summer 2013. So, you know, he, he had had his fill 
He had his fill well before it kind of became the meme that it did, honestly. Uh, and Daryl Gallagher, the head of Crystal Dynamics, left in 2015. And in 2017, IO Interactive got did their buyout and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he continues, and again, this is someone who left the studio, kind of commenting on things that happened after his time, so... Uh, if I read between the lines, Square Enix Japan was not as committed as we hoped initially, and there are rumors, obviously, that with all these activities of mergers and acquisitions, that Sony would really like to have Square Enix within their wheelhouse. I heard rumors that Sony said they were really interested in Square Enix Tokyo, but not the rest. So I think uh, Matsuda-san put it like a garage sale. So yeah, I mean, he he seems to... He seems to really think that... Um, that Square... Enix was looking to get those studios off their off their property so that they could end up looking more attractive for a sale, which makes a ton of sense. Um, but yeah, I just I think it's interesting to hear someone who does have some experience being a part of that merger, um, feeling largely the same way that that we did from the outside looking in is like, wow, they sure do find a way to blame a Western studio for a game every single time. And that sort of sucks, but also, but also it is very easy to believe, uh, that a game like Avengers did not meet expectations. So, you know, you kind of have to take it all into account there in that. Yes. Yeah. uh, Square Enix also just published. They are the publishers of power wash simulator. It's a fucking weird one. Um, the weird one couple other small things here. Halo Infinite, according to uh, VideoGamesChronicle.com, apparently multiplayer matches of Halo Infinite are reportedly causing players to use one gigabyte of data per game. That it is causing players to download a, a, a bunch of data during every match, and in some cases that is uh, reaching almost a gig. This is something that was highlighted by someone on Twitter who is saying that uh, the game client would have reportedly used between 305 and 900 megs of data each match. Uh, That's... If you are on a data cap connection of one terabyte, having a single match plow through data like that can be a bad problem. Uh... The Halo support team on Twitter did say that they are investigating reports and that an improvement for this issue will be included in August's drop pod update. Uh, And it sounds like some people in chat are saying that maybe they, perhaps they did in fact actually already patch this. Um, At what point, and I, I, you know, not to single out Halo here, I I think we have a, a question about Halo in the emails where we will talk about it some more in, in kind of a larger scope. Um, at what point do mistakes like this, whether it's, Hey, we, we issued a patch that caused you to have to redownload the game three times because we got the patch wrong or, or Hey, our game was causing these huge data spikes for a while. Uh, at what point is that something that a company has to deliver some kind of make good for? At what point is it that you have to say like, hey, you cost me $50 
because I played your video game uh, for a reasonable amount of time and you didn't tell me that this was something that was happening. You did not tell me that the game would use this much data. At what point do games need to be better about reporting the type of data that they are using? And at what point do failed patches become a thing that a company has to answer for? Because there are still too many people that are on data cap connections. In a world where people are not on those sorts of connections, like on some level, you just go like, yeah, that sucks, but who fucking cares? In a situation where it's like, oh, by the way, it's, you know, July 16th and you can't use your internet anymore because you hit your cap because you accidentally played too much Halo. And then we accidentally issued a 100 gig patch for Call of Duty that then we accidentally had to serve to you three times. Um, so... Yeah, that's right. Uh, John in chat points out that yes, the 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 in, the Xbox Insider poll when I went and checked on it uh, a couple of days ago was in fact asking, "Hey, do you have a data cap?" <laughs> um, maybe that's why they want to know. But at what point does this become a class action for everyone who is stuck with fucking Comcast? Uh, because. At some point, this is hampering, you know, like at some point, this is like, hey, it's your fucking telephone. At what point is it like, oh, I and I and most Internet connections, I think, largely just slow down rather than stop. Right. But like, at what point is it like, oh, yeah, um, I couldn't call 911 because Halo used too much data that month and my internet connection stopped and I have uh VoIP phones. And so the call wouldn't connect. Like at, at what point is it like impacting larger things? And, and yes, you would assume that any kind of VoIP service um, would always work or whatever. But let's say I am using a third party, you know, I'm, I'm not using my ISPs VoIP service. I am using a third-party VoIP service. And how how would my ISP know that I was trying to call 911 if I am not using their service, right? So I don't know if there is a, a loophole there that that might end up being bad. Um, but, you know, in in this world, yeah. If if the answer is you should have planned better for nine one one service, that's probably that's that sounds like a lawsuit to me. Um, but yes, I'm sure if you are if you are if you were on Comcast and you were using Comcast for phone service, that yes, the emergency stuff would probably go through. Um, or also, I guess like in a lot of cases, they just charge you and keep the internet on, right? I'm trying to remember because when I had Comcast. I remember I was playing, so I, I, I upgraded my Comcast service, um, and was playing a lot of PUBG at the time. And when I went to the faster speed, when I finally, when they finally delivered gigabit to my area, they, I, I was paying them the $50 a month in blood money to not have an internet cap because, uh, I, I needed that. I, I was tearing through a terabyte in 10 days in some cases, you know, just like I'm, I'm a heavy internet user, motherfucker. 
And so I had to pay them more money to leave me alone. When I upgraded my service, um, they forgot that I was paying them for that cap thing. And so I was playing PUBG because PUBG was, was out, you know, PUBG was new at the time and I couldn't get into a match and I couldn't figure out why. And suddenly the PUBG interface broke because my ISP was trying to force a pop-up window into this web page because the, the PUBG interface is apparently web-based. And so PUBG was the front page of PUBG was telling me, Hey man, you're out of data. And I had to call them up and be like, what the fuck? Uh, you need to reverse these fucking charges because I was paying you for this stuff. You're the assholes that turned it off. I am willing to pay you for this fucking to, to make this problem go away. Even though it shouldn't be a problem in the first place, you motherfuckers. Um, and it made me, I, it immediately made me change my DNS service to a private DNS service because the idea that Comcast could inject shit into web pages did not sit well with me at all. Holy shit, fuck that. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Halo shouldn't use that much data. Sounds like that they are well aware of that and are error. If they if they have not fixed it already, they are at least going to work on fixing that. But um, that's no good. And again, you start to wonder, like, at what point, you know, do do players that have these data caps, at what point do they have to kind of like come together and say, hey, uh, your this is your problem. These are your mistakes that you made and you need to compensate us for it. You need to go to Comcast and pay our overages or you need to go to Comcast and, and make this right. Or you need to give us some amount of store credit or you need to be better about bandwidth management and reporting how much bandwidth you're using. I, you know, I think there should be some kind of fine on the publisher end um, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is. I don't want to suggest a solution, but I was going to say that, you know, should there be a fine on the publisher end? If Activision comes in with like, oh, whoops, shit, our patch makes you redownload all of Call of Duty. And that's 140 gig, you know, whatever the number is at this point. Uh, and so, you know, you have to make that right. Yeah, it, it, because they fucked up the patch. It downloaded multiple times, you know, like anyway. At what point will players bond together and make that a thing? I don't know. Perhaps never. Right? I just heard a weird clicking noise. I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. Um, last little bit of video game news that's also wrestling news in its own weird way. This comes from Fightful.com, which I have found myself reading a lot more of over the last week or so. <laughs> uh, and this is taken from an interview with... Oh, God, what am, I, what am I getting myself into? This comes from True 
Heel Heat Wrestling on YouTube. This is a recap of an interview with Kevin Gill, who if you don't know Kevin Gill, he's an announcer for GCW. He is, um, I believe I've spoken of him before, where in at certain at certain points he was a prominent juggalo. Someone told me that perhaps they had some sort of falling out. The Insane Clown Posse and Kevin Gill, I believe he was on their TV show at one point. Anyway, uh, Kevin Gill also worked in the video game industry before getting into wrestling, um, the wrestling business, the indie wrestling business in some form. And um, I encountered him, I believe, when he was with IDOS. They were the publishers of Backyard Wrestling, and he was working on, I believe he was working on Backyard Wrestling. But yeah, he, uh, Kevin Gill has been had been around the video game business for a while. Uh, before getting into wrestling. And there's a bit in here, I guess he worked at Rockstar at one point, which I had forgotten. Um, and he talks a little bit about Rockstar almost making an ECW game. Which seems like it'd be a really weird fit, but when you think about this era of Rockstar, Rockstar was doing a lot of different things. In fact, uh, as part of this interview, Kevin Gill says that uh, that Sam Hauser was involved in producing the Onita documentary that came out in Japan years ago. Um, and that uh, Kevin Gill ended up joining Rockstar and all this other stuff and talks about putting together a deal with Paul Heyman and basically taking the Rockstar leadership or, you know, like the, the Rockstar management out to Philly to see an ECW show at the ECW arena so that they would fully understand what they were getting themselves into and all this other stuff. And then there's this interesting money moment here. Um, where where Gil started getting a lot of questions um, about is ECW going to stay in business long enough for this to make sense? Because remember, this would have been... This was before those Acclaim ECW games came out. And so Acclaim ended up swooping in getting this amazing deal or whatever it was. Um, and so this is, this is the quote that I thought was interesting. This is from Kevin Gill. He says, we had the contract signed from ECW and we were about to issue the check and the check then makes it because we didn't sign the deal yet. Like we returned this signed deal and the check and that locks the deal. Basically, you know, they were at a point where they had ECW had executed the agreement. All they needed to do is sign it and show up with money. And then they were in business. So they were down to the absolute end of the negotiation. And uh, and so this is this is coming from he is attributing this to Ryan Brandt, who he says is was Sam Hauser's boss at the time. I assume in in whatever the Take Two family or whatever it was at that time. Um, so he's finally like, if this was your million dollars right now, would you sign this check and send it to Paul? And I'm like, if it was my only million dollars. Because let's be honest, if you're on, on the pool for $15 million, it's a good million-dollar bet. He's just like, if it's your only million dollars right now, would you bet everything you have that ECW will be here in 18 to 36 months when this game comes out? I was like, it breaks my heart to say it, but you know what I mean? I can't. If literally, like in this context, I couldn't take that bet. You know what I mean? He's like, I really appreciate that. That takes a real man to do that. Then he had me rip up the contracts. Not in a bad way, but in a symbolic way. Um, 
Yeah, so this would have been this would have had to have been 98, 99 or something, right? This is the era when Rockstar is putting out stuff like Thrasher Skate and Destroy and um and stuff like that. Um and so they they passed on the deal. They they were right there. And so Acclaim comes in and swoops it up and then he says, "Oh, Acclaim, we're breaking our balls." Uh, saying, oh, Rockstar ever gets everything what they want, but you couldn't get ECW. And then he says, literally less than two years later, I had the lawyers from Acclaim trying to browbeat and threaten me into testifying against Paul Heyman in bankruptcy court. The lawyer was like, it's Paul Heyman. He's a scumbag, and he's a this, and he's a that. And I was like, ah, well, I don't know about you, but Paul Heyman's like a hero of mine and inspiration, so, you know, I'm not testifying shit. <laughs> um, Yeah, so, yeah, Acclaim... I claim made a lot of fucking bad business deals, right? But, you know, they they definitely, I think they got burned by that ECW deal for sure. Because you think about when those games were coming out in 99, 2000, you think about where ECW was as a company. Like that was when they were, they had that TNN television deal for like a brief period of time before that got ripped out from under them. And like, it was very much like the end of ECW. And so the idea of like fucking having your, like having these knuckleheads at a claim fucking with you. Uh, about do, doing the deal that Rockstar couldn't do and then fucking they end up in bankruptcy court so you know yeah good call Kevin Gill I I've I Kevin Gill I feel like comes up every six months or so in in one way or another whether I'm like catching a GCW show or like oh man yeah Kevin Gill I haven't seen that dude in forever he always seemed like a solid dude um in the, the few times I interacted with him. And then he went on, like he was working on that backyard wrestling game that had ICP in it. And then at some point got sucked up into the world of the insane clown posse, uh, and did that for a while and, and, and all that other stuff. So yeah. Um, interesting for sure. Um, that's going to do it for news. Let's, uh, let's get into a handful of emails here. I, well, I didn't, I, I didn't hit the news. I didn't hit the music for news and I don't have email music, but I, well, I guess I just gotta. It's time for emails. Podcast at, uh, guard.bike is the email address. Send your questions for this podcast into that address. People want to talk about the Choco Taco. It's it's a desperate situation. Um they've they have discontinued the Choco Taco. I feel that there's some portion of my career that would not have happened the way it what it did if somehow for not the Choco Taco. I know that's a weird statement and I'm not going to elaborate on it. But if you know, you know, I guess. Um And then I guess, you know, it's probably worth briefly touching on the wrestling news. If you, if you've not followed this information, um, the story surrounding Vince McMahon and his, uh, hush money payments to women he was having affairs with at work took a much more serious turn. And it sounds like the SEC is investigating and all such stuff. Now, as such, he has fully stepped down or uh, we'll see. We'll see what we believe here, but, uh, but he is out, out previously. He had stepped down from the, the CEO position, uh, but was still heading up the creative end of the wrestling show, the wrestling shows that they were doing. And, uh, 
Now he is out of those roles. Um, and it's a, it's a new day. Yes, it is over at WWE where that guy is out. And one of the things that people have thought about for years is what will happen to that company when that guy is out because, uh, a lot of the stale writing and a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the creative direction of that company fell on his fell fell directly to him. And a lot of it was really fucking stale. And so a lot of people have wondered for a long time, what would happen if that guy was gone after 40 years of being there or whatever it was. And it's like, now we're maybe potentially finally going to find out and people are excited about it. Obviously this comes from a horrible, you know, like, like, you know, a horrible reasoning, you know, that no one should have to go through what those people went through. No one should have to have sex with Vince McMahon period willingly or otherwise. It's just, um, and yeah, so I, it, it's, it's, this is a really big shakeup because now you're like, okay, well, gosh, if one of the reasons people leave WWE is because they don't like working for him and they don't like with working with the type of creative storylines he is coming up with, then, uh, then they go to AEW, but if this company cleans up its act and actually becomes a place that more people want to work, what does that mean for AEW? Because they have definitely benefited from people being disgruntled about their place of employment and and making that jump. If fewer people want to make that jump, and in fact, if some people maybe want to make that jump the other way, it's this is great for talent, right? This is great for the, the the actual wrestlers because it means that they've maybe got a little bit more leverage. They've got a, a little bit more choice in where they want to work, and and maybe they'll have more fulfilling careers as a result, right? Uh and so it really upsets a lot of it. It has the potential to upset a lot of things in the world of wrestling, as they have been over these last three years uh, since since the launch of AEW, and so. It's a really interesting time for that stuff. And, uh, you know, they are saying that uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who you may know as Triple H, is now the person in charge of the creative direction of the company. And Vince's daughter, Stephanie McMahon, is now the co-CEO, along with uh, another gentleman who you have not seen on television. Um and so you wonder like, okay, well, if that family is still in charge and, and all that sort of stuff, then clearly, clearly Vince McMahon can pick up a phone as a, as still the largest shareholder and say, God damn it, pal, this guy has too many names. Take his first name off him and only call him by his second name. Oh, God damn, pal. How come you didn't call him Seth freaking Rollins? Uh, and, and, and those sorts of things. We'll see. We'll see just how out he truly is. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting time. This is, this is something that I, I've been like obsessing over for the last week. I mean, for longer than the last week, you know, you kind of wonder, Hey, this seems like something that, uh, is about to get a lot worse. And sure enough, it did. This seems like something that was going to definitely get that guy out of there in, in some ways. And, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a it's an interesting time in the wrestling business for sure. 
Um, we're at a point now again where once again the behind the scenes news is is at risk of becoming far more entertaining than the uh, than what's actually happening on television. And uh, we'll see how that all goes. I've been watching. I've been watching AEW. I have been watching WWE, and I watched that Ring of Honor show, which was a very good wrestling show over the weekend. Uh, I you got to feel bad for a Jonathan Gresham in this situation because the news cycle just passed him by. Where this was a guy who was disgruntled with how he was treated on that pay per view over the weekend and asked to be released, and there were all these reports that he got in a shouting match with the head of AEW and ring of honor and all this other stuff. And, and, and he deactivated his Twitter and all this other stuff. And, uh, and then this Vince stuff happened and now people are like, Oh, what? Uh, that FTR match was amazing. And, and that dude seems to have kind of been, uh, forgotten or, or that, that dude's beef, I guess, seems to have kind of been at least somewhat forgotten in the wake of all of this stuff. Um, that match was good. I I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. I again, I I don't have enough of a history with Ring of Honor or those those people, those characters, to say anything really about John Gresham, except like I he seems like a very excellent wrestler, and I don't know that I've saw enough of him from a character perspective to feel one way or the other about him. So putting the belt onto, um. Claudio seemed like the right move in terms of getting that brand off the ground and all that other stuff and them eventually getting a television deal, which ring of honor does not currently have. So they're just like doing these. I don't know. AEW. this, this is, this is happening at the worst possible time for AEW. If WWE gets its act together right now, while AEW feels very disorganized, these last handful of shows where they have tried to be they're, they're trying to build up this ring of honor brand on AEW television um, I have felt has been a huge distraction and has led to worse television shows recently. They need to figure that shit out and they need to get that shit off of AEW TV and focus on focus AEW TV on AEW. Like the Ring of Honor stuff, I, I is it like again that was a really good wrestling show, but I just until they've got television and the characters and 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 like stories and rosters and stuff, I just don't fucking care. Like they're they're it was an awesome show with awesome wrestling matches, but like. There are a ton of awesome wrestlers having awesome wrestling matches out there these days. And so um, until that's more than that, I'm kind of not, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we, we, we will see. We will see. Um, let's get into those emails. Let's see here. Uh, ooh, hang on. Did my headphones ship? No, 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 nope. I just ended up on a mailing list for the, I already bought headphones from you. Stop sending me ads for headphones. What the fuck are we doing here? All right. Anyway, sorry. Uh, podcast at guard.bike is the email address. And we start with Ben in Boston who says, does Cerny want my ears or what? I've been sitting on several high quality photographs of my ears for over two years now. When the hell is Mark Cerny going to tell me how to get them to him? Yeah. 
right? What happened to Mark Cerny's ear picks? That's the thing that truly matters. I so I um I upgraded my telephone to the public beta of iOS 16. And did you know that iOS 16 wanted photos of my ears? Yeah. I I had to hold my phone over to my ear and then tilt my head ever so slightly. So it was like, all right, yeah, that's your right ear. Now let's get a look at the other ear. And it took forever to do it because it was a really clunky process. But it had to it had to map my ears for whatever their spatial audio bullshit is, which is insane to me. I, I don't. So the primary, I mean, obviously some some audio will be encoded for spatial audio in a way that makes it surround sound or whatever. But so far, the only thing I have seen with spatial audio on my phone is if I'm wearing my headphones and I'm holding my phone and I move the phone over here and I move the phone around over here the audio moves a bit as if I were listening to the speakers on my phone instead of the speakers in my head. What the fuck? That's silly. It's, it's, I, it was neat for about 15 seconds of me going like, Oh, Oh, hmm, huh? Well, interesting. (laughs) And then I was like, I'm turning this off, turning this off. This is, this is incredibly, Silly. Um, let's see here. Let's pick another one here. Um, Kami Mike from Indiana writes in and says, "Long time, first time. How much have you seen of how much have you seen of the coverage around Halo Infinite since its release, and how do you feel about the level of negativity and uncertainty being espoused?" It's very strange to me, someone who's had a very good time with it. I think a lot of the criticisms of the live service elements are valid. But am I the only one who thinks it is strange that those elements are increasingly the primary measure of a game's success? It's also strange to me for people to express uncertainty or worry about the game's future. It's Halo. Like the game or not, Microsoft is pot committed to it. It's very difficult to imagine the game being abandoned in the way, say, Anthem was. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I am I am with you. I, I, he said, oh, it goes, I think it speaks to a lot of how much of games coverage has become a sort of business punditry. There, where the questions being asked feel like business questions and not player questions. Meaning, you know, is it succeeding at player retention as opposed to is the game fun? I understand that in covering an industry, some of that is inevitable, but it still feels unhinged to me that people would worry about a game because lines aren't going up on a graph instead of it actually being bad to play. Yeah, totally. That's something, I mean, you you know, you want to talk about graphs and that sort of stuff, like go follow go join the internet wrestling community where you've got people breaking down television ratings and quarter hours of television ratings to try to determine if an individual is a good wrestler or not. It's fucking insane. It's garbage. That is where I punch out. I like wrestling. I like the business of wrestling and all that other stuff, but you've got people out there talking about, well, in the demographic in the 18 to 49, they did this, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got people on television actually inciting those people by talking about the demographic on television. Yuck. But yes, uh, yeah, there's definitely, you know, you see a lot of the like dead game discourse around just about everything. Um, 
I agree with you, Mike, that I have had a nothing but a... Well, okay, I've had some technical issues with Halo Infinite, but uh, I enjoyed Halo Infinite quite a bit. I had a really great time with that story mode. The multiplayer that I have played, I have had a great time with. As someone who is not like a diehard Halo fan, I think that the changes they made have made it a much more accessible game for a wider range of shooter players. And I think it's pretty fun. I have not, I, I don't play it every night. When it came out, I was definitely playing it like every night for a while and then fell off it a little bit. Now I come back when I hear something new or, you know, they're like, oh, right, Halo. And I come back and, and give it a look. I know they're testing the campaign co-op stuff, which uh, to me sounds like it'd be cool and fun. They did say that they're not going to have matchmaking in there, which I understand why you don't have matchmaking for a campaign mode, but also I don't know that I know anyone that I, well, I, I guess I, hmm, I don't know. Maybe like me and Marco will play through it at some point when it eventually rolls out. If, if Marco still likes Halo enough, probably not. Um, yeah, uh, I have had a good time with Halo and then you go online and read about Halo and it's just people talking nonstop shit about Halo. And I think that has been the case since 343 has assumed the franchise and I will grant you that I think that 343's run on Halo has been spotty. I think Halo 5 had some some problems from how it was structured and how some of that multiplayer was built and some of the changes they brought to the franchise and all that sort of stuff. You know, the the weapons, the, the a lot of the new weapons that rolled out that you don't see anymore in Halo Infinite because they're like, yeah, I guess all these Promethean weapons were actually dumb <laughs> or, or most of them anyway. Um, you know, they fell off of that stuff with a good reason. But I think Halo Infinite is, is, is absolutely solid. It is, it is the best. It, I, yeah. It's my favorite game that I played that year for sure. Um, and I had a really good time with it. I had a really good time with the campaign. I thought that the, the grappling hook stuff was super fun to use. Um, the control changes I think felt good. The, yeah. There's a lot of fun things to do a lot of wacky moments cool like oh i can't believe this shit just happened like those sorts of moments happening in a halo match and and yeah i had a really good time with it i i get why some people are frustrated by it and i also i'll say that they have had a a very bumpy road from a technical perspective i think even the last time i played it i was playing whatever event they were running and not getting battle pass credit for the event uh because something was broken. And so like, yeah, that game has problems, but most of the problems I've had with that game are of that nature are of like, Oh, outside of the game progress busted or like, Oh, I, it crashed, you know, like, like it, it occasionally crashes, but not often enough to be a, a major problem. But I ran into some issues here and here and here. Um, and so by and large, and, and I, I, you know, as again, as someone who had, had played the multiplayer, you know, relatively infrequently, I guess, uh, I think that I've had a really good time with it. That said, the thing that has kept me from playing more of it has been a lack of content. And you get into a playlist and you see the same two maps over and over again. And you're like, man, I am done with these two maps. 
I want to do more. I, I, I would happily play more Halo, but it just there was not enough Halo for me to play. Uh, there was not enough Halo for me to engage with beyond a certain point. And so uh, it definitely needs more content on the multiplayer front for sure. To me, but but to me, that's my number one issue with it. People that are like, ah, this thing's fucked and it's got all these problems and they're not going to fix this. And all, like in terms of how it plays and how it feels and stuff like that, I actually really like it. Um, but I, I get why some people are, are more, uh, frustrated with that than, than I have been for sure. Rich in Hertfordshire, England writes and says, your podcast is a breath of fresh air. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Brad recently told a story when you and him played Mortal Kombat three with no visible screen and you were able to beat him. Do you recall this madness? Yes. Back in the old GameSpot office, back in the 70s, uh, when it mattered, baby, uh, the monitor on our Mortal Kombat 3 cabinet broke, and it was a dark day, literally. Uh, But we were determined to keep trying to play the game. We filmed this. There's there's video of this somewhere. there, yeah, there, there's there's video of this. I don't know. I, I assume it made its way. It was it was online on GameSpot.com at one point, but I know a lot of old videos broke on that website. That was something that at one point I had the power to fix on an individual video basis, and so I did fix some of them. But that one, I don't know that I actually ever found a way to reconnect. Um, <clears throat> but yes, I uh, yes, I I did. I did beat Brad at Mortal Kombat 3 on a machine where the monitor was broken, and I also did a fatality at the end of the match. Uh, this was done... We, yeah, we filmed this and put it up somewhere. And and th- th- this is... I was able to do that because I picked a specific character. Um, I picked Robot Smoke, who has a very easy fatality to do. And as long as you're keeping track of which end of the screen you're on, you just got to jump back to full screen radius and then hold block and hit up, up, down, forward, and he does the thing. And so, uh, yeah. But yes, there was definitely, I, I remember doing that. And I remember like having to think in my head where I was standing and having to think that through in terms of like, okay, I just jumped. I just heard him jump. And and you're really kind of looking at the controller. You're looking at the moves he's making on the controller more than you're looking at the because you know there's no screen, right? Um, and so you have to look for additional ways to get data. I guess is the answer there. Uh, but yes, we did that. We super did that. It was fucking cool as shit. <laughs> uh, and we didn't rehearse it. We didn't. We just that was one take. We we did that in one take, and that was that, if I remember correctly. So yeah. Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 is a great fucking video game. Um, let's see here. Wade from JC writes in and says, Jeff, I am also colorblind and often find myself struggling with what should be fairly simple puzzles. Colorblindness settings never seem to really do it. I propose that colorblind mode simply adds a display that shows the color value of whatever you place your cursor over. Thoughts? And a bonus question, when has being colorblind fucked you the most in a game? Um, 
I agree that uh, in, by and large, most colorblindness settings in games are bad because generally. And so this this is this is a hard one because it's it's kind of like it's not necessarily the colorblindness itself. For me, it is largely the aftermath of not being able to see in color. The Witness was bad on it. Uh, De Blob was a game I could not play. People in chat are bringing those up, and those are definitely like The Witness. I got through it, um, but De Blob was unplayable for me completely. Absolutely not a thing I could even touch. Puzzle Fighter is also technically an issue, but it's an issue that sometimes would work out in my favor because the yellow and greens would be together in a way that would sometimes create combos that I didn't even realize I was making. Um, but for me, the issue is like there's the colorblindness itself, obviously, where you can't necessarily discern one color for, for another and and that sort of shit. But it is also the thing where... By not by knowing that your eyes are not reliable, I I never think about color in games. I never think about, and so you'll probably see me do this in uh, the most. The Doom reboot was a game where this happened a lot, where like the the icon of like the light above a door would be lit up if it was a door you could walk through, and I never noticed shit like that, never ever. Because I know, I know I can't trust the color stuff, and so I just I you you would see me running up to doors that would definitely be locked and definitely be like red. Um, and it's not something that you know it just means I'm wasting time running up to doors that anyone else is going to look at and know that they're not going to open. Um, and Doom's colorblindness options put a full tinge over the entire screen, which I don't think I ever want. I've never been in a situation where I've been like, oh, by adjusting this, now I can see the thing. Because it's, you never know what you're missing when you're missing it, unless it's something that is so gameplay critical that you're like, oh shit, okay, this is something I can't even process because my eyes don't work. Um, and, and you know, changing the color, like, like increasing the red saturation is not going to get that done. That doesn't do shit. Um, what I want, and this is something that respawn traditionally has been really good with is I want to be able to customize the colors on the HUD for shooters specifically when it comes to what does my, what does my crosshair look like when I am over an enemy? What does it look like when I'm hovering over a friend colors on the arrows on the mini map? If I'm seeing players through walls, my team, I want that team color to pop against the background in a way that it often doesn't for me. And so what I want is the ability to customize those sorts of things. That doesn't always help in in-game scenarios like The Witness or um, Escape Academy, which had a color mixing puzzle in it. Um, but when it comes to those sorts of competitive games, uh, I need the ability to set those colors myself because when they just have options of just like, Oh, you've got protonopia. Here's the right one for you. It never fucking is never. None of the presets ever work for me when it comes to customizing the HUD colors. I need to be able to set those myself. That should be a standard feature for everyone in all games. I think, uh, 
or all games with that style of HUD, right? Where you're like, I've got to discern enemies from friends or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the, the, yeah, and then the, the upshot also of like being someone who occasionally is like recording himself play video games is in the cases where I've turned on the colorblindness filter. This also happened with Doom. Where I turned it on and forgot that I had turned it on because it doesn't look any different to me. It's just like there's a slight like, oh, I guess it's a little more red. I guess it's a little more red. I don't know, but it, it, you know, it's not a major difference. And so I forget and I leave it on. And then you've got people going like, hey, your fucking cable's plugged in wrong because your game looks all fucked up. I'm like, no, I just, no. My eyes. I have a thing on my stream deck. Someone made a plug-in. Uh, and I don't think that this would work in some games depending on how it works. But it's a button I can push when my mouse cursor is over a specific color. And when I push it, it will actually show the... Uh, you can set it to show the hex value of a color or you can set it to just show words. And so when I hover, when I go over to my Twitch chat window over here and I hover over the name of Vectroid Live and I push the button, it says yellow green. And when I go to Super B Hero, it says dark orchic. I'm sorry, dark, dark orchid. What color is an orchid? I guess it's that color. That doesn't actually help me. Dark or dark orchid doesn't is not helpful. <laughs> Just like, hey, uh, purple would be good. Is it purple? Is it blue? That's my number one question. Is it purple or is it blue? Let's have. Uh, oh, let's see here. Let's see if we can get through two more. This one's a little long. This one's from Ryan who wrote in, uh, who visited Iron Source. If you remember from the Unity story from last week. Let's um, get uh, broken off asking, what are the chances your son is colorblind? Apparently zero because it is the, the genes are passed through the mother when it comes to determining colorblindness. And so... My colorblindness technically comes from my mom and from her mom. And so I had an uncle who was also colorblind and, and that sort of stuff. So, so because she doesn't have that in her family, that is not something that shouldn't be something that we have to worry about. But we'll see. I don't know. They didn't find out with me until I think I'd, I'd lost a, a green, I'm sorry, an orange golf club in our green grass in our front yard. And I couldn't find it because I just couldn't fucking see it. Anyway, <clears throat> Ryan writes in, uh, he visited iron source, which is the ad tech company that just merged with unity who made install core and all that sort of stuff. And this is just, this is, uh, this is an interesting little thing here about the world of ad tech and all this other stuff here that I thought that I thought was interesting. So I thought I would share it real quick here. Uh, Ryan says, I've worked in ad tech for the last 10 years, many of those for a video ad serving company. In the boon years of 2016 and 2017, I went to Tel Aviv to visit clients there as there were dozens of video ad tech companies at the time, most of which have since shuttered. Iron Source was already publicly traded locally at the time and had just moved into a new office that felt like Google's Mountain View campus. 
stuffed into the top few floors of a newly constructed skyscraper. The install core work was being funded by what we called garbitrage at the time, in which many of these companies would purchase fake video inventory from other like-minded ad networks and sell it for slightly more than they paid for it. A lot of this was done with domain spoofing to inflate the prices of the inventory somewhere along the fake supply chain. During our meeting, I was asking them about potential scale. The company I worked for made money on ad serving fees and did not give a shit if the inventory was real or not. And at one point was reviewing their impression figures, which is how many ads they had sold and served, which could have only been possible if every living human on earth was watching a video advertisement served by Iron Source within the same 24 hour period. I also spent a fair amount of time speaking with them about their PR nightmare from the malware shit, but mobile ad verification was in its infancy at the time. So for about five years there, a lot of people became very rich as the result of their revolutionary technology. Anyway, thanks for the trip down memory lane. Yeah, it's ads, ads are, I, this is why I can't, um, you know, and, and this matters less to me now, I guess, now that I'm not affiliated with an actual website. Um, but this, this is why it's really hard for me to advocate against ad blockers. Um, and it's also why I'm a believer in podcast advertising and that sort of stuff that is, you know, kind of demand, like, you know, is more, you know, the response to the ads, like how many people sign up for it. Like, I don't, I don't get paid on a, if you go, if, if, a if a billion people go and buy dick pills today, uh, I mean, congratulations, I guess, but also I don't get paid more based on that. I'm not getting, I'm not getting that. Th it's not that type of relationship. But it does mean that if the ads on this show work, I am likely to get more ads down the road. So that's why it's like, hey, please support the sponsors if that's something that you are, if you are interested in doing. Um, and yes, then the rates go up and they come back and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff, you know, but it, it's not. Um, yeah, it, it's it, the the ad tech, the the, hey, we need to find ways to track people so that these ads can be more effective. We need to find, uh, you know, more ways to work around Apple's privacy or, you know, like, Hey, it's, it's why I try to use Firefox. It's why I have stuff installed to try to, you know, keep a little bit more of my data getting out there than, than would be otherwise. And I can't, I can't necessarily blame anyone who, who tries to take that step because, you have a lot of, if, if you could guarantee that all the ads were fine, then great. Awesome. That's not a problem. Then, then it's a matter of like, okay, we need to determine if they're in the right category and all this other stuff, because if there's, you know, ads for certain type of things that I don't want to be affiliated with, then I obviously I have the ability to say no to stuff, um, at least on the podcast and, you know, in, in other, in other spots like that, I have a little more limited uh, ability there these days, but, um, yeah, you know, you, you kind of just can't trust a lot of the kind of technology behind this stuff because it is designed to, you know, it is designed to get your data is designed to, to get all of that sort of stuff. And, and so it's, it's hard to feel great about that. And, and stories like this from Ryan are why, and you know, like I, you know, I've worked on 
websites for a lot of years and, and I've, I've had a lot of arguments or a lot of like this, you got to get this particular ad off the fucking website. It's breaking the website or it's, it's playing noise, even though we are fucking never supposed to do this. And, you know, and on the other end, you, you know, the folks out there have no knowledge that that is the fight going on behind the scenes all the time. And so instead in their mind, it just becomes like, Oh, I see you're okay with this bullshit. I'm like, no, fuck no. Why would you have, I mean, I guess, yeah, okay. But like, God damn it. Let me know. And you know, now it's less of a thing, right? But it is still, but if you do, let me know and I'll do what I can. But like, again, I'm not affiliated with a specific website with its own ad stack and all the other horse, horse shit. So whatever. Um, we were never okay with that shit. We would always say like, hey, th- these ads can't run anymore. These have to go. You have got to take these off the site. And they'd be like, no. Or, well, actually, generally speaking, especially I'll say in the podcast space, people are very much understanding of that sort of stuff, right? They know that the ads are just not going to work if they don't fit. And so if I'm coming to someone and saying like this podcast ad is, is definitely not going to go anywhere or do anything and, you know, or whatever, then, you know, it's okay. It's not a good fit. But some of that stuff that just gets served automatically, you're like, oh God, fuck shit. Um, you know, it's clunky. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, Cody from Roswell writes in and says, I was looking at some of your older content today and heard you mention the satiator. And I was wondering if you ever got one or if the mister is a better option for you to play Saturn games at the moment. If you're not the raid shadow legends, people eventually stopped emailing. I got three emails from them. Okay. Hey, just wanted to make sure you saw the offer. Uh, let me know. And it's like one of those things where it's like, normally I would be like, I would try to just be like polite and be like, this is not, this is not a good fit. Thank you. Um, but that stuff seems so scammy that it's like for the same reason you don't respond to spam, <laughs> you know? Anyway, the Satiator, if you don't know anything about it, it is an optical drive emulator, meaning it is something that you can hook up to a Saturn that lets you play Saturn games without loading them off of Saturn discs. And so in this case, it's actually something that very easily plugs into the back of the Saturn. You don't even have to open it up. And you can run games off of an SD card or, or whatever it is. The catch with the Satiator in particular is that it does have some compatibility issues. There are some games that just don't run on the Satiator. So if I was going to do something to my Saturn, I would probably get a Fenrir. And um, the Fenrir is a, you have to install it inside the Saturn. It is not as easy of an install, but it does look like it is still fairly easy to put in. Uh, And that has a higher level of compatibility than the Satiator does. And so I would probably go that route with it these days. Um, And that's something I do, I do want to do because I do have a, a Saturn around here somewhere that if I remember correctly, the drive doesn't work on it. So hopefully I could just get a Fenrir, plug it in and be done. And I would love to do that. Um, but I haven't done it yet because yes, the, the current, the, the current core for the Saturn 
on the Mister. Uh, we have not seen a public update to it since early June. And obviously, again, the the person who is working on it is in Ukraine, and he is, uh, as I understand it, he is safe, but he is still in Ukraine. Um, and so he's got a lot of other stuff to worry about before finishing up a Saturn core for the Mister. That said. It is in a state where it does run a lot of games and runs them like pretty well in some cases. It is not a good replacement for a real Saturn or ODE right now. And um, I think it will eventually get there in the future. I hope it gets there. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that Saturn stuff coming along. I did order an ODE for the 3DO. And I believe that is not going to come in until September. Um, it is a it is an external device that sounds like it will plug in quite easily. Uh, there's two versions of it. I got the the one that does plug in more easily, I suppose. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a fucking 3DO that just plays whatever. And that's going to be great. I need to, another news, I need to find my 3DO. Someone needs to make a CDI ODE and I need to buy the, uh, the digital video card for the CDI so that we can play Thunder in Paradise and all those hot games and all that other stuff. But yes, I am going to take my 3DO. I'm going to hook it up to my, uh, retro tink and capture it. And we'll play some 3DO games one of these days. Obviously, 3DO emulation actually is quite good. Um, so maybe this was a ridiculous purchase, but I just wanted to do it. I had to do it. So I did it. Um, ODEs are fascinating. They make them for a lot of different consoles and all that sort of stuff. And um, you should investigate them. They're they're really fascinating. The Dreamcast stuff. And you know, there's just a lot for a lot of different platforms now. So you can technically use real hardware and have the benefits of real hardware without having to pull your discs out of storage and use them. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Cody says at $249, the satiator sounds neat, but now I'm looking at the ODE as a better solution. I mostly want to play three dirty dwarves again. And parts two and three of Shining Force three. Yeah, I would I would probably go with an ODE at that point. Also, I'll say that Saturn emulation in something like Mednafen or some of these other, you know, the things that will let you run Saturn games on your PC, that stuff has come a long way. And some of that stuff is is pretty good. Depending on the game. But uh but yeah. Okay, let's see. <laughs> now we'll we'll save that one for another time. There's an there's an insane clown posse email that's been sitting in here for a long time that I just haven't been able to get to. It is not a question; it's more of a, just an old story. Um, Mason writes in and says, I wanted to see if you remember E for all 
What I can remember, it only lasted two years, 07 and 08, and was an E3-like event for the public. Looking into the event, the three biggest games shown were Super Smash Bros. Brawl, Metal Gear Solid 4, and the now-forgotten Frontline Fuels of War. Not forgotten by me, motherfucker. This only popped in my head with Reed Pop and E3. Thanks for taking my email. Yeah, thanks, Mason. Um, yeah, E for All felt like a... Um, one of the first desperate attempts to try to find a way to have a show open to the public that they could find ways to make matter in a, at a time when E3 was already kind of becoming a weird question. And so, yeah, this was 2007 and 2008. I did not go to either of them. I did not hear positive things about the E for All shows. Um, especially compared to PAX, which was, you know, PAX was very, uh, was a, was a smaller show then. I'm trying to think the first time I went to PAX East. It might have been 07 or 06. Or it might have been 07 or 08. I think about it. But yeah, I know, you know, we started going to PAX a lot more post GameSpot because... At, when, at GameSpot, we didn't necessarily... It was hard to see the value in going to PAX because it was a lot of things like, well, we get all these games anyway. Like, we already have these builds. We can get these builds, whatever it is. Um, and so... And we didn't really... There was not a, a... The community aspect of GameSpot was not the way it was and everything I've done since then. So there just didn't... Just, I see why management was like, eh, PAX, whatever. Um, but that seems silly. Even then. When I think about what PAX became. Anyway, I've had a great time at PAX. Um, e for All felt like um, a bad version of PAX in a lot of ways. Even considering that PAX was a much smaller show then. That was, that was everything that I'd heard about it. And everything that I'd seen about it, whether it was like pictures or video from the show floor, uh, E for All seemed desperate and not necessary. Except for like, hey, what if you had a public video game event in Los Angeles? Because that didn't exist. And, and, but at the, at the same time, that could have been a much better show, I think. And so that, that's everything I remember about, about E for All. Uh, is that it was a lot of games that were either on the cusp of coming out or were already out in a lot of cases. So it's just like, yeah. Um, okay. Last actual email. This is from a Kazuna encounter enjoyer in India. All right. <laughs> Shortly after I first started following video games back in the mid to late 2000s, I noticed a number of journalists leaving to become game developers. Craig Kasavin, Rich Gallup, Kerry Guskos, and briefly Alex Navarro to name a few. From my limited perspective, it seems like this was a common next step in a video game journalist's career. My question is, does this sort of thing still happen often? And was it ever, in fact, common to begin with? Yes. Yeah. Um, Amir Ajami also made that leap to EA before Greg did. Um, and before Carrie did. Carrie went to EA also. Um, classically speaking, and things are, you know, I was going to say things are a little different now, but maybe not. Um that line of work pays like shit. Um, and at some point, like, 
are you going to stick with that forever or, or are you going to you know move on to try to do something else whether it's uh, actual working at a developer or whether you're going to consulting there's definitely some people that, that go for consulting gigs uh like that's you know how jeff green jeff green went to ea and was on the sims team for a while yeah nick chester that's right nick chester bounced from he goes straight from destructoid to harmonics and then now is is at uh, at epic um yeah, you know, yeah, there, there's there's definitely like, you know, you, you, if you want to kind of continue, continue to advance in a career, I think a lot of those people um, made those moves. And in some cases, they had dreams of doing that all along. And that that was always a little weird for me because um, you need people in that line of work when it comes to like reviewing games and all this sort of stuff. It's It's a little different now. You know, I was probably a lot more harder line about this then. Um, but you needed people in that position that were not afraid to talk shit about a game. They were not afraid to give their true opinion about a game or a publisher or a studio, whatever. And the thing, the last thing you want is someone who is angling to get that job. And I feel like that was something I you know, heard criticisms of out of some of the Ziff people when they made their moves to different publishers and, and stuff like that, that, that you, when you looked at where they went and then looked at the coverage prior to it, there was a lot of like, Hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I remember hearing that at the time, but everyone was talking shit about everyone hard fucking core at the time. So who knows? Um, you need people in those positions that are going to say what they're going to say and, and speak their mind. And if you have someone who is looking at every single chance of them meeting a developer as like, maybe this is a studio I could work at. That's fucking bad. And those people that are trying to use the journalism side as a leg up on getting into development and that sort of stuff, I think, I think there's no room for that or there shouldn't be at the same time, people have to eat and people have families and, and all this other stuff. And so I, you know, I, I, like I said, I feel quite a bit differently about that stuff than I probably did 15 years ago. Um, in fact, I will guarantee you, I feel much differently about that than I felt 15 or even 20 years ago for sure. Um, and it probably was some of the people you mentioned, um, Greg, Rich, Carrie, and Alex. And Bob Coleco when he went to Blizzard. Um, that was all stuff that just like it 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 made sense. You know? And and so like those people making those moves, I was like, ah yeah, I get it. I get it. For sure. Um and so that kind of that kind of changed a lot of my perspective on that sort of stuff. Cause it's like, Oh, here are people I super respect and people that I still respect. And I know that they didn't necessarily try to fucking fuck around and, uh, use this. I, I had worked with people in the past that were definitely trying to get jobs at publishers. And it was like, you need to stop fucking doing that. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, Hey, it, it's, um, job security in that line of work, working for a website. I'll tell you, uh, yeah, uh, it, 
I don't care how high you ascend at some point. Uh, you know, but like the the way I felt in 06 and 07, which was, you know, that was when Greg left was in 06 and then the management shift that happened there was really um, a, a good, clear sign of like, hey, management views you as the most replaceable people on the entire staff, the people that have the opinion about video games. Because they see how many resumes they get for those positions. They know that they could pay people dirt fresh out of college and exploit people and say, you get to play video games. And, um, you know, I, I devoted, I'm going to say like practically every fucking waking moment of my twenties. I was 21 when I went to GameSpot. Um, and so I would have been 32 or something when I was out. I devoted the entirety of my 20s, almost every waking moment, to that website. Um, and, you know, what? hey, it worked out for me, Like, right? I mean, I wouldn't be here if it didn't. Um, but that entire time, a lot of the driving factor was I will be replaced if I don't do this. These reviews have to run in a timely fashion. Um, and I did it willingly. Like, I, you know, like I, it didn't seem, you know, it was fun. Going to E3 is fun. It still is. It still is fun. Like, I, you know, it's like you... It's the thing, you know, I, I don't, I don't want people to think like of this as like, oh, you're complaining about your cushy video game job. I will say two things. One, fuck you. It's actually, there are fucking parts of that fucking gig that were hard as fuck. Um, and also, you know, it was a pipeline set up to exploit people. And, and that's not, I'm not, that's not GameSpot specific. That's like that line of work for that era through the nineties and into the two thousands. And I think still today there are still, you know, situations where freelancers are getting paid like 20 bucks for a fucking article and stuff like that. And you're like, what, what? But it's, you know, it, the media business fucking sucks. The media business fucking sucks. And, you know, and, and again, like, yeah. And then I, and then I went and devoted the entirety of my thirties to it in a slightly different way. Um, and then I met my wife right before I turned 40. <laughs> Um, I threw away a ton of shit over the years, personal life type stuff, um, for those jobs. And I can't sit here and tell you that I regret it because again, I, everything worked out for me. I don't have a lot of complaints here at, at, at this point. Um, because I stuck in it and I'm still here doing it. And I'm my own boss again, and that's fucking great. Oh my god. I can't even begin to tell you how fucking great that feels. But also, you know, it, it's a different, you know, you have to figure out, like, what's an actual sustainable way to do this? Because, like, you know, you can't do it the way that no one should be doing it. I don't care if you just got the job. 
No one should be doing it the way that I felt I had to do it when I was 22 or when I was 30, when I was 30. I turned 30 in LA. We were shooting G4. Um, we were shooting episodes of G4 stuff on my 30th birthday. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, you, sh- you should not be out there working for these fucking corporations that way. They will use you up and throw you the fuck out. That's just, and, and that's, again, I'm not, this is not something that's unique to fucking my specific experience. So this is not, I'm not talking about a specific employer here. I'm talking about this line of fucking work. Uh, the media business in general, you know, it's a fucking brutal out there. Like forget video games, just look, you know, anyone that's out there writing anything about anything, like it's just fucking, you know, those are the people that are the, somehow the most replaceable. Like, oh, the names on the fucking byline, like it's, it's, it's fucking, it's scary as shit out there. So when someone makes that move, I can't, I can't fault them. I can't, it'd be unfair. Everyone's got to fucking eat at the end of the day. At the end of the day, capitalism, right? You know, the, the end of the dot, 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 capitalism. Um, and I feel very lucky and intensely privileged to be in this position right now where I have escaped that form of the rat race. Um, and I'm not out here worrying about, I don't know, fucking someone on discord was talking about employee reviews. I was like, yeah, no, 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 thank you. Um, but it, does it still happen? Like, yeah, sure. There are people, uh, um, Tina, I mean, from IGN just went to Microsoft like recently to, to take on like an exciting new project over there. And it sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. And then I've heard from other people that have made the jump. Um, I know someone who I won't name, but it was someone who was absolutely miserable in their position. And then they left and went to a game publisher and, and were like, smiling the next time I saw them. I was like, wow. It was like a dramatic change. It was like, yeah, no, it's it's weird working somewhere where people actually respect what you uh, have to say on a topic and don't just treat you as like the noise in the room that is somehow preventing them from making money because you're the one that says, actually, we can't do that. Actually, we have ethic. Like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, man, it, it's... Whatever I, you know, I could wax fucking poetic about it for, well, poetic's not the word. The brutal fucking line of work, the media business, because you have zero job security. That shit could turn on a dime for any reason, and reasons as dumb as, ah, Facebook seems to be pivoting to video, and you're not pretty enough to be on camera. You know, like yeah, oh man, mm. just. Absolute bullshit over the fucking years. Absolute bullshit. When that when I was when I was getting out, and getting out is a charitable way to put it. But when I was leaving, eh, leaving also a charitable way to put it. When I was when I was done at Gamespot, uh, the management that was coming in there uh, had television backgrounds, and so there was definitely there was like a concerted. There were, the, the conversation was starting around like. Why are we putting all these fucking actual report? Why are we putting the people who actually do this work on camera? Why aren't we hiring 
pretty ladies to read it all and and going down that road and yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a fucking insane fucking line of work it's an insane line of work and so when people and you know when when people try to go like oh this reporter has a an axe to grind with this and they're doing this and doing this and like uh, prescribing all these conspiracy theories onto someone who is like you know like fucking grinding it out for like what forty five thousand dollars a year or something you know like they're just like fighting for every fucking dollar uh, and and does, and has no power at the organization beyond just writing some stuff. Like, it's just like what you have such a misunderstanding about how this shit is really working. It's uh it's fucked up out there. Um, it's fucked up out there for sure. Uh, anyway, so the the new podcast. Um, I'm not going to tell you the name of it yet because I hate the name of it because it's so good. Um. But we are going to be delving into the video. We're going to start by talking about the video game industry of the 90s. The early 90s, when I first really got started doing this, uh, you know, going to CES in 92 and uh, and what this business was really like then. And we are going to be talking with Glenn Rubenstein, who is going to be my my co-host on this journey for at least the first chunk of it for for as long as he was there um and he started writing about games when he was like 14 he started writing for the local newspaper and he has a lot of his old columns and i have a lot of very angry axes to grind with him about his coverage of bill lambeer's combat basketball and so we are going to be recording an introductory episode and that will be available for everyone to hear. And then we are going to record a follow-up episode and, and, and going forward, that will be a patron exclusive over on Patreon uh, for the, to the, to the, to the, for the second tier subscribers is, is on uh, over at patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. We're going to, we're looking to record that introductory episode this week. Uh, I still have to get with Glenn and actually schedule that <laughs> um, because I've been, been busy a lot of that other stuff. Uh, can we have a spinoff episode where we interview Glenn about lonely girl 13? You know, I don't know if legally how much he can talk about that stuff. Well, I'll ask, I'll ask. Um, so yes, that is, that is what we are doing. We will record those and put them out. Um, no current plan to record those live. Um, no, no current plan to stream those out as they're being recorded. Um, but we'll get into it and see, you know, kind of what makes sense and, and all that sort of stuff. But that is the plan for August. Uh, you can head over to patreoncom slash Jeff Gerstman for more details about this entire fucking insane endeavor. So give it a look. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into that stuff and, and, you know, we'll see who else we can get, uh, because, there are stories from that era that are not necessarily ours to tell um, for people that we were friends with that were in in and around uh, those situations that I definitely would love to pick their brains. People that were doing public relations for SNES games, all that sort of stuff. Um, 
and, and talked to a lot of the other folks who were there back then and, uh, and see how it all goes. Um, so yeah, look forward to that again. Podcast at guard.bike is where you send your emails and gosh, yeah, that's going to do it for us here this week. This went, this went long. <laughs> this went a little long, a little longer than I thought I was going to, but here we are. Uh, thanks everybody for hanging out and watching. You're saying get Ed Boone on the podcast. Ed, Ed, my interaction with Ed Boone in that era was seeing him signing autographs at CES with John Tobias and going, holy shit. Those are the Mortal Kombat guys. And then not getting in line or, or meeting them or anything like that because I was like, I don't, that's, I'm too. And actually, I, I believe I probably saw him. Acclaim had, anyway, Acclaim had legendary parties at CES back in the day. Um, and, um, we would go and they would serve hamburgers with basketball marks burned into them because they were selling NBA jam and they would have a mortal Kombat machine there. And we pretty much just went to play their mortal Kombat machine for free and eat hamburgers. Uh, anyway, that's a story for another time. So I'm going to back, check that out. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Thanks everybody. Bye.